0: Welcome back, everyone. Now we are actually live. For a moment there, we were having a bit of issues with the streaming software, but it does show that we're live on all of our normal platforms. Tonight, I am very pleased to bring you a special presentation. I'm going to be joined by several of my good friends, Mr. Brad Colladro-Getz and Mr. Ivan Pence card the man who brought you the Speaker Trump movement. And obviously, Kevin McCarthy has just been elected as Speaker of the House for this 118th session of the United States Congress. And we're going to be getting thoughts from Brad and Ivan on uh, how they see this playing out, what their immediate reactions are in the aftermath. I, I don't think that it's a world ending scenario like a lot of people have uh Animated out to be, but either way, in the uh, second half of the program, we're going to be watching a landmark interview with a KGB defector by the name of Yuri Bezmenov. This is from 1984, and when you hear what Yuri has to say 40 years ago, and then compare it to what we are experiencing today in America, I think you're going to be shocked. If you've already seen it, then it's going to be great to have a refresher. Ivan, Brad, and I are going to be giving you our thoughts on this interview, and uh, kind of comparing it to what we see in today's world. So do me a favor, sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and all three of us will be right back after this. Please share the show, hit the like button, make sure you're subscribed. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Thank you for joining us. On screen right now is my good friend Ivan Raiklin. Ivan, thank you so much for being here this evening. How are you?
1: Hey, thanks. Good to be back again, Zach. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing is that
0: when I did my
1: Tucker interview that aired a couple of days ago, uh I specifically talked about Yuri Bezmenov and that model, and Tucker said, yeah, he's very familiar with it. But I think many people, uh well, most people probably on this stream probably are aware of it at a minimum, probably know about the details of it. But it's good to kind of refresh it like you said earlier, so that everybody, you know, takes that and sees what the Soviet Union did. Uh, in terms of its capability to apply influence and pressure to subvert the United States and other countries that they wanted to target. But you also have to look at it from the perspective of, since China has been on the rise since that model was created in the Soviet Union, I would suggest that they, they being the Soviet Union and then later Russia, advised the Chinese Communist Party on how to effectuate that ideological subversion. And now that China has a greater capability to do so, I argue that that is what's been going on inside of the United States, fomented by China using the same model.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Brad, let's go ahead and hear from you, buddy. How are you doing tonight? Uh, for some reason, your microphone is muted.
2: Okay, yes, I am. I'm doing good. I was in a, a bit of a rush around today, and then I got home in good time. And fell asleep until about two minutes before the show and went, (laughs) oh my gosh. (laughs) And uh but I am more than happy, man, to be to be going over this because I agree this is the model right here for whoever is using it, it's been studied, and definitely I can see China and, and many others have taking parts from this all over the place.
0: I, I well i Ivan first of all let me say I, I think you're absolutely right i I mean we know that uh you know communist china and the unite the u s s r back when it was officially a communist nation i mean they were uh they they were intrinsically tied i mean philosophically and then also as part of the region um so i I think that when China became a communist nation i mean they took a lot of cues from russia there weren't a lot of yeah. nations out there that were willing to become close. Allies with them. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the speaker race before we get into the, the meat and potatoes of the interview itself. Um, Brad, mm-hmm. Brad, let's start with you. You know, what, what, what is your immediate reaction and how did you feel that this played out?
2: I, I thought it played out great. Uh, right from the beginning, I sort of felt like. It just seemed like it was eventually gonna be McCarthy. I mean, right from the beginning of their votes, after a couple of votes, he had a lot of votes right off the bat. It's like, alright, it's a matter of time. But I love that they made him wait to the 15th vote. It was just nice to see him go that far, and I just felt like they sent a really good message. And then there was a lot of people who were really mad that they didn't keep going, but at some point, I just felt like, alright, you know, you made your point, you sent the guy a message, now you know it's fine with that. I I thought it was great uh, what they did. They got some concessions out of the guy. Uh, you know his speech wasn't that bad. So who knows? Maybe maybe he already had been talked to behind the scenes by Trump a little bit. Trump certainly was giving him at least the the token support. So I don't know. I don't I don't. I certainly like you're saying. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think there is a contingency in our movement where. Every last thing that isn't exactly the Hollywood ending that we want is like the end of the world. Everything's going to be done. Oh my right. God. It's just like, all right. Come on, guys. It's, it's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, Ivan, uh, another hallmark of kind of this, uh, overarching operation to save America, uh, is, is not directly broadcasting your moves to the enemy. Uh, quite often one thing is put forward as the preferable, uh, I guess end result. Uh, And then at the end, no matter what happens, we still have people who are uh, able to work within the framework of what does occur so that we can still get some wins for America and hopefully move us forward in the direction that all of us are hoping we're going to go. What was your reaction to the, uh, the vote for Kevin McCarthy?
1: Yeah. So in on the spectrum of winning, right, if if we started off going into this with a zero because we didn't have the House and then the top line win would be a Speaker Trump followed by everything I talked about in previous shows, coupled with the entire rules package demanded by the by the House Freedom Caucus. I put us in like as of today, based on what happened yesterday and as long as the rules package fo- is followed through with the vote on Monday, we are basically in the best position we can be in with a Kevin McCarthy In that seat, meaning he is going to be the speaker of the house with a straight jacket and duct tape all over his face, Mm -hmm. because if he strays one millimeter outside of the rules package, guess what? One individual, i.e. Matt (laughs) Gates, will just stand up and say, motion to vacate the chair, you basically conducted a transgression, and they're like, what do you mean? I decide what that transgression was, it met my threshold. Now you have to basically prove yourself again. It's a total body check on Kevin McCarthy. His hands, feet, everything is tied with uh, so he wanted the speakership so bad uh because at the end of the day, this was live before the whole world to see the struggle between America First and the the Rhino establishment. It literally a rhetorical civil war and it got pretty heated because uh, what's his name uh one of the members was essentially almost trying to assault Matt Gates. Uh, you remember that last night? Roger. And he was like, you know what? I ain't having it. Like I, I, I absolutely, I have much more respect for Matt Gates after what he did yesterday. Now a little bit of insight I also want to mention is that because I was heavily involved, I was up on the hill. I was communicating with, uh, the never five, uh, and I, I've been communicating with them, uh, very frequently. Even in the weeks leading up to this, so I had a little bit more insight maybe than most. And then also, uh, let's just say, uh, little birdies were contacting me and I was co- you know, coordinating, if you will, or communicate, I shouldn't say coordinating, but communicating, uh, my thoughts. And a lot of that was put out publicly, but bottom line, the, I recommended for two days ago when we were at, remember we started off the, the, the establishment thought they only had five that were going to, go against Kevin, right? The first vote turned out to be 18 and then it peaked at 21. So two days, two nights ago, I think it was, yeah, it would have been two nights ago where it was at 21 and it was after a re reendorsement by, by president Trump. And the following day it was essentially the momentum started where the hit was Trump would accept the speakership. I think you guys saw all that, right?
0: I, I think that was, I think that was a, a, a big moment for Trump to actually say publicly that he would accept that speakership position and in it you know and the continued refusal of that select group of representatives right. who who would not vote for Kevin McCarthy under any circumstances I mean, it showed him that he wasn't invincible and that there was no way that he was just going to waltz in and grab that brass ring without making those concessions, without actually bending the knee to America first and doing Absolutely. what the will of the people was.
1: No, so that was – I think that was a good play at the moment. So, I mean, think about it from the Uniparty's perspective. You have Don Bacon. When he starts to hear this, remember, you're Don Bacon's, the Validals and the New Houses of the world. These are – I mean, two – Two of them, Dan Newhouse and Don Bacon were were impeachment voters. They're the two that survived out of the 10, right? So they're, Mm -hmm. they they, they hate Trump. And then Don Bacon was basically, uh, you know, he won, even though that district supposedly was lost by President Trump with that, uh, electoral vote. And so I think Don Bacon was one of the guys that voted Marjorie off of committee, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last Mm -hmm. time around. So these, these are the guys were, that were willing to go ahead and uh, do a deal with the Democrats. Because they were starting to squirm. Once Trump got into the play, once Matt Gates now, uh, voted for Trump and then nominated Trump, th- I think they started to buckle. That was the pressure. And when they were at the peak with 21 against uh, McCarthy, I think they felt that the momentum was going to shift so massively. That's when the concessions started to occur, meaning one go from five to one motion to vacate. That right there was the most important victory. That we were seeking. I get it. I, you know, people will say, Oh, you failed. I have it again. Just like the Pence card. Guess what? It's the fight. That's the most important thing. You go after the gusto and you, know, you shoot for the stars and then you hit, you know, hit the sky, right? So bottom line, we got the best case scenario with Kevin McCarthy and it was, we were this close. I think where President Trump was, I think considering pulling the endorsement at that time of Kevin McCarthy. And then fast forward to last night when, you know, the concessions allowed the 14 to essentially come back and say, all right, we, we basically got everything we were asking for. So the six remaining holdouts, uh, you had that vote and they were expecting, um, Matt Gaetz just, just not vote right. and that would have sealed the deal for Kevin McCarthy. And then he came in and said present. Yep. And that's when they got a little angry. Um, at that moment when they <laughs> voted to, they started to vote to adjourn let's just say I immediately presented my idea that guess what? I think the best move right now is for the president at Mar-a-Lago to invite McCarthy, Scalise, Stefanik, and then the rules committee chair, um Tom Hammer, along with the remaining six holdouts and essentially do a, a deal for the whole world to see with the press there to essentially, you know, him, president Trump brokering the deal where he would say, I will step up and be the Speaker of the House for several weeks, and then once we get the ball rolling to push back against the commies and the deep state and do everything kind of like to auto-correct that, release the 14,000 hours, you know, do the big things that Kevin wouldn't do, then he would relinquish the gavel back over to Kevin, mm-hmm. and that's how the Six would agree to it. Um la- I'd say we were this close, something like that happening, but as that was, was, I think, thought through, there was a phone call made to Matt Gates and that said, Matt, Kevin gave you gave everything. Like he literally gave everything yeah. that you originally, you know. So go ahead and I think he probably said uh, go ahead and vote present.
0: Well here's So that's when you had that
1: next that's when they started changing from adjourning to go ahead right. and not adjourning, and that's when they closed the deal.
0: Right. And so now, bottom
1: we- line, it was Trump that essentially put that up. Correct. He played that.
0: And and now that, you know, Trump was able to broker that deal. Kevin was willing to capitulate. You know, we can get all of those things rolling that we wanted President Trump to do during that 100 days or so that he might Mm -hmm. be willing to be speaker. Uh, I argue
1: we're there. We're one day into it. And the 14000 hours still haven't been released. So now I'm calling on a motion to vacate the chair like now time now.
0: Well, it's Saturday though, they're not in session on Saturday. I don't care. I I get it, I get it, believe me, I understand. I don't, no,
1: I'm not giving anybody (laughs) a million. Okay,
0: okay. So So, now I'm on
1: the offense again.
0: (laughs) So let's, we'll see, we'll see what happens on Monday, but you know, I think that the most important thing that people uh, you know, who are upset about this and who are like, you know, we, you know, we can't win. We can't, and nothing goes the, the way we want it. You know, I've, I've always said just because things don't go exactly the way that you're hoping or the way that you're wishing doesn't mean that it's not the way that it's meant to be, or uh, it's not the way that we're going to benefit from it in some fashion. And with that, uh, with that vote of no confidence, uh, that was put back into play, I mean that's that's like the Trump card right there. I mean if Kevin that's McCarty, the biggest,
1: that's the biggest thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. If he does anything uh, and and constituents don't care for it, if if the caucus doesn't care for it, then Matt Gates, you know, I mean, I think he's shown us that he truly does have the balls to stand in the gap and to do what's yes. necessary. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for uh, Gates to to <laughs> run for president, okay? Because I I feel like you know he's uh, he's one of those people who are next in line behind Donald Trump. Uh, real quick, we had a couple of uh, super chats over here on. Tumble. Blue Eyes said, I think it was freaking awesome what happened last night. Gates' strategy worked. Trump was behind it, all I feel. And Freight Awakening, yep. good to see you, buddy. He says, good evening, gents. I wonder what your takes on McCarthy and Luntz are. Seems like Kevin can afford his own place. They have some hammer action going on, like Paul Pelosi kind of suss. I think a lot of people, guys, think it's uh, very sus, that relationship between Franklin. Well, first of all, I mean, it, you know, I, I feel like he, he, Kevin's just a little bit too close to Frank Luntz for the comfort of of the uh, of the country. And then also, of course, there is the question of is uh, Kevin McCarthy's wife a beard? Um I don't know. Keep this in mind too, guys. If Kevin is a good guy and he's not just in that office to line his pockets, it is extremely expensive to maintain a full-time residence in Washington D.C. and a full-time residence in your district back in California. California, remember, is one of the most expensive states that you can choose to live. Uh You have to believe that Kevin is living in a nice area. A home like what I have right now in California would be a multi-million-dollar home. Okay? No, it's so not I, that I much did the deep dive on
1: that and. I mean, every, everything looks as though he's living within his means that I was able to look right. into. He lives in Bakersfield. It's a modest house that he's had for quite some time. Uh, so if he, if he's living by the rules, then I would agree with you, Zach. Uh, but yeah, you know, if that's the case, it still doesn't answer for all the money that he took in quasi, well, I'd say legally, but now that he knows it came from corrupt Ukraine and FTX money, right. Give it uh, back. that's going to be problematic for him. And then. Yep because he used it to go against America first candidates. That was the major point of contention with Matt Gates. Matt Gates was one of the early uh supporters of Joe Kent. Again, I'm, I've known Joe for a decade at this point, a yeah. little over a decade. And so I backed him like basically before he even announced, but Matt Gates was the first one to come out and actually endorse Joe Kent. Uh And, and, uh, Kevin McCarthy pumped in millions of dollars to try to take him out in sure. the primary. And because it was such a late primary, uh, he ended up losing by a half a point in the general. So mm-hmm. the reason why he lost is solely because of Kevin McCarthy. and no, He, he it,
0: did the same thing to J.R. Majewski. So I, I'll never – Yeah, you know the yeah, deal. I'll never forgive him for that, that alone. Uh, but I will allow Kevin McCarthy to be used for the greater good, and I'll be able to stomach it because at, at times – in Washington, that's what you have to do. Brad, I want to get your take on, uh, the, the Luntz, uh, McCarthy situation. Uh, what, what's your gut say about it? I,
2: you know, my gut a lot of times thinks a lot of this stuff is blown out of proportion, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's not always, it isn't. But for something like that, I don't know. I haven't thought too much about that situation, to be honest, but I do would agree with, uh, the money going towards non-America first candidates being the huge red flag and uh, the way he acted after January 6th, well, wanting Trump to resign. There's definitely a lot of red flags from McCarthy. I just hope that – I just hope a message was sent. I think it was. I think a message was sent to rhinos across the platform. Yeah, It's not going under the radar anymore. You, you guys are not going to be ignored. We're not going to pretend like you don't exist. We're going to flex a little bit here as we start to gain a little more ground because the MAGA crowd – is gaining a lot a lot more ground in our movement, in just the general Republic- voting Republicans, and now in Congress. So, th- to be honest, I just hope that maybe this makes him do the right thing. He might turn out to be a really good speaker. You know, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes that's all it takes is just a little bit like, all right, a little bit of fire under you. But, yeah, with the lunch well, thing, I don't know. I, I think it, I don't get too much of it.
0: Putting the pressure on Kevin, though, here's the thing. What do we know about him? I mean, we we can be absolutely certain that he was willing to do anything to be speaker. He just assumed that he was going to get it no matter what. And when he went in there and he didn't have the votes and then he didn't have the votes another 14 times – That will that must have been a humiliating ordeal for Kevin and for every single all of those last votes where he was within one or two votes of actually getting it. Think about how frustrating that gets. Yeah. You you know how I don't know how many of those final votes, uh, you know, he had already agreed to those concessions. But I got the feeling that Gates was still holding out, even though Kevin had said, I'm bending the knee. And if he wants to remain speaker. He has to play within our rules now. He can't just play however he wants to. He can't just yep. do it for Washington, D.C. or the lobby The lose. the
1: only way he survived it was because President Trump got involved. That's the only way. You saw yeah. how much effort and pressure he had to apply in order to make it yep. – get him across the finish line. Now, yep. as far as the lunch piece goes, I got to put in a shameless plug because I, I did a whole you – know, one of the 13 subsects I did on – on, uh, Kevin McCarthy's background investigation that I did specifically addresses his roommate, Frank Luntz and, and Luntz's relationship with foreign, uh, countries as he advised in elections with these foreign countries. And then you overlay that with the relationships with the FTX money and other countries that Frank Luntz worked with. There's this web of interaction that, you know, there's, there's smoke. There's a lot of smoke. Uh, and so it, it creates a risk, right? Yeah. But again, if you if you have a speaker that's in a straight jacket with the duct tape over his mouth, he he can't really do much, right? <laughs> can't really communicate. <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, you know how you do, you know those little train sets that little yep. kids have? Yep. It's like, hey, Kevin, now go.
0: You can go only on that track.
1: If you fall off, guess what? We're gonna put another train on there. It's not gonna be you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he's just he he's now. Within a, a certain set of parameters and those parameters are going to dictate, uh, how his, uh, speakership is going to play out. What is going to be his legacy? Brett, like Brad said, he might turn out to be an excellent speaker. Uh, and I certainly hope that with the external pressures that, that he has on him from America and from the caucus, uh, that he probably is going to turn out to be pretty decent, you know? Uh, the real question is with the Democrats, uh, pretty much in control of the Senate, and obviously Joe Biden willing to veto uh, anything that comes across his desk if it's brought to them by Republicans. You know, what are, are we actually going to be able to get done in terms of legislation? Uh, are we going to be able to get anything done? Does it even matter? Because we already have a lot of bad legislation in America. I think, if anything, we need to roll things back. But I think the most important piece is that we're now going to be able to handle all of the investigations. And uh, this uh, this new committee looking into specifically the abuses of the intelligence community, guys, I mean, that's that's a big win right there. We never would have gotten that under any of these other past administrations
1: massive so mm-hmm. one other point
0: other than that, yeah you
1: mentioned a good point so the motion of vacate one massive the second one is that we have three freedom caucus members on the rules committee which literally gives us a gives the freedom caucus a veto power over basically all legislation coming in and out and that's huge this forces a way more conservative uh, uh house than would have been seen like in in any other time i mean this is it, that, that right there is massive. The whole FBI body check committee, love mm-hmm. it. The yeah. China committee that's been going to be created and headed up by Gallagher. Yes. Love it. Uh, the first amendment body check or the big tech body check committee. That mm-hmm. still, I think needs to be played out, but I think, uh, Jim Jordan is going to help out with that. And like you said, Tom Massey is hopefully going to be the one, uh, uh, heading up that, uh, the FBI component. And based on his interview last night on Tucker, it looks like Ma- Massey is going to be, they're going to try to get Authorization to not only look at the FBI, but the whole national security apparatus writ large. And, uh, I might make myself available for 18 hours a day to support that if, uh, should I have the opportunity. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to see that.
0: Uh, let me ask you guys this. Did, uh, did you happen to see that report that came out, which said that for about 14 minutes, Cash Patel was made director of the CIA and, uh, Donald Trump apparently, this is just what's been reported. Uh, withdrew it and continued to, uh, on with Haspel because the bulk of the CIA was planning to walk off the job. I, if this is true, then that would have been the, the, like the, the Hail Mary that we needed to gut and neuter <laughs> the CIA. I'm like, God, I want to ask Cash about this so bad, but did yeah, you have Yeah, I to have see some, that? a little bit of insider on that,
1: but go okay. ahead. Uh,
0: Brad, what you do, do you think? Go? No, I think,
2: uh, Cash time? is denying it, right? He's saying that uh, he he said he wasn't, but I mean that would be amazing. Uh The the CIA with Haspel and everything like that, it it was a little hopeful, but then she turned out to be you know not like it. It feels like a lot of people who were around Trump turned out to be either disappointments by design or it is just you're in the swamp. Every what do you do? And I would have loved that man. I, I I would be curious to see if we could get it out of him. But I was just trying to look it up here, and it it looks like he was, it says Trump loyalist Kash Patel denies January 6th committee that he was briefly installed as CIA director. <laughs> but I don't well, know, man. I don't know. I think that would have been awesome, to be honest. The well, CIA, to me, we know, we talk about this, is, is everything. If you could get yeah. one of us in there, boy, you could just uncover the everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, what's interesting to me is that Someone testified to the January 6th committee that he was, and then he testified also under oath that he wasn't. Ivan, I want to get your, uh, your inside baseball. We've got to take the, the last break of the show for the second half. We're going to be right back and then I want to hear your thoughts. All right. Uh, Ivan, we are back and are you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. Let, let's go ahead and get your, uh, your inside baseball and then let's uh, start the interview.
1: Yeah. So an individual that I know, uh, I don't think they, they want their name out there. So just out of respect for them. Uh, there was serious discussion right after the election, uh, 2020 election to replace Ray as well as Haspel. Mm -hmm. And the individual that I'm talking about was in discussions with, uh, President Trump on taking over the CIA. And, I, I was contacted and we were discussing whether he should take it or not. And, uh, he basically said that he uh, he advised he basically ended up advising President Trump to wait until the election would be sorted out and then place him in, and I didn't want that to go that way, but unfortunately that's how it played out. And the reason being is the the historical context of Haspel that probably President Trump didn't know at the time, maybe he did, is that she was the according to open source reporting. Again, I'm not confirming anything. I'm just relying on open source publicly available documentation here that she was the chief in London. Yep. At the time when Struck and Page. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, not not well, during the Struck and Page stuff, but more importantly the operation with Stefan Helper, right? Yes. Yeah. And then going after Papadopoulos and things like that. There's there's too much smoke in there to for her not to not know or maybe even authorize that type of operation to take place. Sure. So sure. they the deep state had to place her into that position so that the continual cover up. Remember, you conduct a transgression, you get promoted into a position to then be able to cover up your previous transgression that if exposed would totally take the whole house of cards down. So they've right. been, I mean they've been buying time and buying time, but with us in this place where we can we can counter the faux news that does the protection. I mean, you got your Sean Hannity with the CIA lapel on all day long, right? Yeah. Good thing we got programs like this to be able to counter their narrative and take away their viewership so that people can see actual truth.
0: Absolutely. All right. Good stuff here. Let me – uh ooh, we have a little uh formatting glitch. Hold on. Let me fix this. And uh, then we'll go ahead and we'll start the interview with G. Edward Griffin and Yuri Bezmenov. You guys, we are going to be, by and large, watching it in its entirety. And then uh we're going to be making some commentary at the end. If Brad and Ivan have anything that they specifically want to comment on during the interview, they'll just let me know. And uh, I'll go ahead and hit pause.
3: Our conversation is with Mr. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in elite schools inside the Soviet Union.
0: All right, so I take it you guys heard an echo eventually? Yeah. Oh, God. What the (laughs) heck?
2: They like go watching it on shrooms. I wouldn't know that, but if you say so. Yeah,
0: I, Ivan's been a military man his whole life, so.
2: Um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the aficionado either, but so I hear.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, everybody in the audience is saying they're hearing an echo as well. Um well, another aspect of ideological
1: subversion is to subvert the ability to communicate thoughts, similar Absolutely. to what's going on here
3: during this episode. Tell me, tell me if you can hear this when I hit play. He became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. Yeah, yep. He had an outstanding career you with can hear novice. That? Yeah, that's you actually pretty good audio.
0: Okay. 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 So let me try this. Let me, let me, let me share the screen without specifically sharing the audio. And let me see if that works.
3: Which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. One of his interesting assignments was to brainwash foreign diplomats when they visited Moscow. And he'll tell us a little bit about how they did this and how they planted information which eventually wound up in the press of the free world. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Mr. Besmianov, I'd like to begin by having you tell us a little bit about some
4: of your childhood memories. Well, the most vivid memory of my childhood was Second World War, or to be more precise, the end of the Second World War, when all of a sudden, United States, from a friendly uh, nation, which helped us to defeat Nazism, turned overnight into a, a deadly enemy. And it was very shocking, because uh, all newspapers... We're trying to present an image of belligerent, aggressive American imperialism. Most of the things that we were taught is that the United States is aggressive power, which is just about to invade our beautiful free socialist country, uh, that American CIA is dropping Colorado beetles on our beautiful potato fields to eliminate our crops, and each schoolboy had a, a picture of Colorado bug on the on the back page of his notebook. And we were instructed to go into collective fields to search for those little Colorado bugs. Of course, we couldn't find any. Neither we could find ma- many potatoes. And that was explained again by the encroachments of the decadent imperialist power. Um, the anti-American paranoia, hysteria in, in the Soviet propaganda w- was to such an ec- Uh, of such a higher degree uh, that many less skeptical people or less stubborn would really believe that the United States is just about to invade our beautiful motherland and some secretly hope that it will come true. Mm, That's interesting. Yes. Well, getting back to uh, life inside the Soviet Union or
3: inside communist countries in general, in this country, Uh, at the university level primarily, we read and hear that uh, the soviet system is different from ours but not that different and that there is a convergence uh, developing between all of the systems of the world and that really it doesn't make an awful lot of difference what system you live under because you have corruption and dishonesty and tyranny and all that sort of thing from your personal experience what is the difference between life under communism and life
4: in the united states well life is obviously very much different for for simple reason that uh, the soviet union is a state capitalist economically, it's a state capitalism where an individual has absolutely no rights, no value, his life is nothing, it's just like an insect, he's disposable. Whereby in United States even the, even the worst criminal is treated as a human being, he has a fair trial and some of them capitalize on their crimes, they, they publish their memoirs in their prisons and uh, get handsomely paid by your crazy publishers. <laughs> uh, the uh, differences, of course, in the daily life are very various, uh, depending on who whom we are talking about. In my own private life, I never suffered from communism, simply because I was brought up in the family of high-ranking military officers. Uh, most of the doors were open for me, most of my expenses were paid by the government, and I never had any troubles in, uh, with the authorities or, or with the police. So, in other words, I, I would say I, I enjoyed or I had good reasons to enjoy all the advantages of so-called socialist uh, system. Mm-hmm. My main uh, motivations to defect was had nothing to do with affluence. It was mainly moral indignation, moral protest, rebellion against the inhuman methods of, of the Soviet system. Well, specifically, what did you object to? I objected, first of all, against oppression of my own dissidents and intellectuals and that was th- the most disgusting thing that, that I witnessed as a, as a young man, young student, who was brought up at a very troublesome period in our history from Stalin to Khrushchev, from total tyranny and oppression to some kind of liberalization. Second, when I started working for the Soviet Embassy in India, I, to my horror, I discovered that we are millions times more oppressive than any colonial or imperialist power in the history of mankind. That my country brings to India not freedom, progress and, and friendship between the nations, but uh, racism, exploitation and slavery. and and of course economical inefficiency to this country. Since I fell in love with India, uh, I developed something which by KGB standards is extremely dangerous thing. It's called split loyalty. When an agent likes a country of assignment more than his own country, I literally fell in love with this beautiful country, a country of great contrasts but also great humility, great tolerance and, and, and philosophical and intellectual freedoms. My ancestors used to live in caves and eat raw meat when India was a highly civilized nation 6,000 years ago. So, obviously, the choice was not to the advantage of my own nation. I decided to defect and to entirely dissociate myself from that brutal regime. Mr. Besmianov, we've read a lot about the
3: concentration camps and the slave labor camps under the Stalin regime. Now the general impression in America is that those things are part of the past. Are they still going on today? Or what is the status?
4: Yes. There is no qualitative change in in the Soviet concentration camp system. Uh, There are changes in in numbers of prisoners. Again, this is uh, unreliable Soviet statistics. We don't know how many political prisoners are there in the Soviet concentration camps. But we sure know from from various sources that at each uh, particular time there are close to uh, 25 to 30 million of Soviet citizens who are virtually kept as slaves in forced labor camp system. The size of the population of a ca- uh, ca- country like Canada is serving terms as, as prisoners. Incredible. So um, I would say that those intellectuals who try to convince American public that concentration camp system is a thing of a past are either conscientiously misleading public opinion or they are not in very intellectual people. They, mm-hmm. they are selectively blind. They, don't, they lack um, intellectual honesty when they say that.
3: Well, we've spoken about the intellectuals in this country and also the intellectuals in the Soviet Union. What about down at the broad mass level? Do the people in general, the, worker, the working people, the workers in general in the Soviet Union, do they support the system, do they tolerate it? What is their attitude?
4: Well, average Soviet citizen, if there is such an animal, of course, does not like the system because it hurts, it kills. He may not understand the, the reasons, he, he may not have enough information or, or educational background to understand. Uh, but I doubt very much there are many people who are uh, conscientiously supporting the Soviet system. There are not such, such people in the USSR. Even those who have all the reasons to enjoy socialism, people like myself who are a member of journalistic elite, uh, they they also hate system for for different reasons though not because they lack material affluence but because they are unfree to think, they are in constant fear duplicity, split personality and this is the greatest tragedy for my nation
3: Well what do you think are the chances of the people actually overcoming their system or replacing it?
4: Uh, there is a great possibility that system will sooner or later be, be destroyed from within, there is a self-destructive mechanism built in into any socialist or communist or fascist system uh because there is lack of feedback because the system does not rely upon loyalty of, of population but until and until this soviet junta is being supported by the western so-called imperialists that is multinational companies establishments governments uh and let's face it, uh, intellectuals, so-called academia in the United States is famous for supporting the Soviet system. Uh, as long as the Soviet junta will keep on receiving credits, money, technology, grain deals, and political recognition from all these traitors of democracy or freedom, uh, there is no hope, there is not much hope for, for changes I- I- in my country, and the system Will not collapse by itself simply because it's, it's being nourished by so-called American imperialism. This is the greatest paradox in history of mankind when a capitalist world supports and actively nourishes its own destru- destroyer, destructor. Hmm. I think you're trying to tell us something. Oh in yes. This country. Mm-hmm. I'm trying <laughs> to tell you that it, it has to be stopped unless you want to end up in the gulag system and enjoy all the advantages of socialist uh, equality, uh, working for free, catching fleas on your body, sleeping on, on the planks of, of plywood in, in Alaska this time, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's where Americans will belong, unless they will wake up, of course, and force their government to stop aiding Soviet fascism.
3: Well, you told us a moment ago why you left the system. I'd like to hear the details of how you did
4: it. It must have been a very dangerous thing. It was not so dangerous, it was crazy. Uh, first of all, because defecting in India is virtually impossible, thanks to very strong pressure from the Soviet government. Excuse me, you were in India, India. on
3: assignment at yes, that time? Yes, I was
4: working for the Soviet embassy in New Delhi as a press officer.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: and. Uh, defecting for a Soviet diplomat is next to impossible. It's a suicide, as I said, because a great friend Indira Gandhi um, pushed a law through Parliament which says, and I quote, no defector from any country has a right of political asylum in any embassy on the territory of Indian Republic, which is a masterpiece of hypocrisy. No other defector but a Soviet one needs a political asylum. So knowing that perfectly well, I, I I planned a craziest possible way to defect. I studied contraculture in India. There are there were thousands of young American boys and girls with no shoes, long hair, smoking hash and marijuana, studying sometimes uh, Indian philosophy, sometimes simply pretending that they studied and they greatly annoyed Indian police and they were laughing stock of Indians uh, because obviously they, they were good for nothing students. I studied carefully where they congregate, what routes they travel, what language they speak, what do they smoke, and one day I simply joined a group of hippies to avoid detection of Indian police. I was dressed as a typical hippie with uh, blue jeans, uh, long camis shirts, with all kind of nice decorations, like beads, long hairs. Uh, I I I bought a wig because for several weeks I had to turn myself from a conservative Soviet diplomat into a very progressive American hippie, and <laughs> that was the only way that that I could uh, avoid uh, detection. It was very interesting experience, uh, but it was necessary because. Um, from my own knowledge as a, as a member of Soviet embassy staff, I knew that there were many cases when Soviet defectors were betrayed by Indian police, and also some Western embassies played a very dirty role in betraying the Soviet defectors. According to our information, there were some, I wouldn't call them double agents, but simply immoral people Working for this uh, for the United States Embassy, and uh, confining in, in people like this would be a suicide. So I had to be extremely careful. I could not trust anyone. It, and that was the that was the reason for such a crazy way to defect.
3: Well, had you been uh, caught in the act of trying to get out, what would have no. happened to you?
4: Oh, uh, most likely I would I end up in in concentration camp. Uh, or, depending on the situation and on, on, the, on the whim of some bureaucrat and KGB, uh, maybe even executed. That this is normal practice. Quietly, of course, not publicly. Mm. But that would be the end of my defection, of course. Well, when did you finally make it to the
3: United States?
4: Uh, in 1970, after about six months of debriefing in Athens by the CIA, and I presume FBI too. They let me go first to Germany then to Canada. That was my decision. I had to change my identity to protect my family and my friends in, in USSR. And also I was a little bit paranoid uh, knowing that both Soviet KGB and probably some double agents within the American system may be after me. So I wanted to settle down as far away as possible Uh, I requested CIA to give me some kind of new identity and just let me go uh, on my own. And I settled in Canada. I was a student. Uh, I changed many professions from farm help and and laundry truck driver to language instructor and broadcaster for Canadian Broadcasting Corporations in Montreal.
3: Well, have you had any threats on your life or any uh, yes. unpleasant things? Uh, yes.
4: In about five years, KGB eventually discovered that I am working for Canadian Broadcasting. Uh, see, I made a very big mistake. I started talk. I started working for overseas service of CDC, which is similar to Voice of America, in Russian language. And of course, uh, monitoring service in USSR picked up every new voice. Uh, every new announcer would they, they would make it a point to discover who he is, and in five years, sure enough, slowly but surely, they discovered that I am not Thomas Schumann, that I am Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmenov and that I am working for Canadian Broadcasting, and undermining beautiful détente between Canada and USSR. And the Soviet ambassador Alexander Yakovlev uh, made it his personal effort to discredit me. He complained to Pierre Trudeau, who is known to be a little bit soft on socialism. And um, the management of CBC behaved in a very strange, cowardly way, unbecoming to representatives of an independent country like Canada. They listened to every suggestion that Soviet Ambassador gave, and they started shameful investigation Analyzing content of my broadcasts to USSR, and sure enough, they discovered that some of my statements were probably to um, would be uh, offending to the Soviet Politburo. So I had to to leave my my job, and of course, subtle intimidations. They would say something like, "Please cross the street carefully because you know traffic is very heavy in Quebec," and. Um, Fortunately, I know about the psychology and, and the logic of activity of the KGB, and I never allowed myself to be intimidated. This is the worst thing. This is what they expect a person, mm-hmm. a defector, to be intimidated. Once they spot that, that you are scared, they keep on developing that line,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and then uh, uh, eventually you either have to give up entirely and, and, and work for them, or you, they neutralize you. They, they, they would definitely stop all kind of political activity which they failed to do, in my case, Mm -hmm. because I was stubbornly working for the Canadian Broadcasting, and um, in response to their intimidations I said that, look, this is a free country and uh, I'm as free as you are, and I also can drive very fast, and um, gun control is not yet established in Canada, so I had a couple of good shotguns in my Mm -hmm. basement, so welcome to visit me someday with your Kalashnikovs, machine guns. So, obviously, it didn't work, intimidation didn't work. So they, they tried different approach, as I described, they approached on the highest level, on the level of Canadian bureaucracy. On
3: mm-hmm. uh, and and that level, they were on successful. On that
4: level, they were successful. On individual level, they
3: failed flat. Mr. Besmianov has brought a series of slides with him that he has taken from the Soviet Union, and I think this is a good time to uh, take a look at the slides. Yes. Now, the viewers will be able to see these slides as, as we talk about them.
4: Yes, this is a collection of slides which are, some of them are uh, snapshots from my family album. some of them are documents which I smuggled from the Soviet Embassy. And some are reproductions from local mass media. I usually show them to establish my credibility as as a defector. This is a picture of of my native town, Metishi, about 20 miles north from Moscow. Uh, Characteristically, there is a statue of Comrade Lenin in the central square. Uh, This is myself at the age of seven. Again, characteristically, under the statue of Comrade Stalin, extending his friendly hand to peoples of the world. Uh, At that age, of course, uh, I was still idealistically-minded young communist and um, I still believe that sooner or later things will go for better but I realized that the system stinks, that something is fishy and that ideology is is fake and the uh, propaganda about advanced Soviet agriculture simply didn't meet the criteria of reality if they talk about uh, abundance of food and, and there is none in the stores, there must be something wrong. Um, my father was, he is on the left here, my father was uh, um, officer of the General general Staff of the Soviet Army. He was inspector of land forces, Soviet troops stationed in countries like Mongolia, Cuba, uh, East European countries. Were he alive today, most likely he would be inspecting Soviet troops in, in Nicaragua, Angola, and many other parts of the world, fortunately he died, and he didn 't see the disgrace because deep inside he was a Russian patriot he didn't, bo- he didn't like the idea of expanding Soviet military might, especially in the areas we, where we were not welcomed at all. Unlike many other military officers, he was reporting directly to the Minister of Defence bypassing KGB and diplomatic service. In other words, he was a trusted military professional. And my impression that this type of people are much less hawkish and adventuristic than party bureaucrats in Kremlin. When American mass media describes Soviet military as potentially dangerous counterpart for, for Pentagon, I simply laugh because I know better, I know that the most dangerous part of the Soviet power structures are not military at all. Most likely, if they come to power in my country, they'll be more sensible negotiators for nuclear disarmament and withdrawal of the Soviet troops from many parts of the world.
3: But if someone from the party structure or the KGB structure were to give the orders for a
4: military They have to obey, they, they yes, because they are, they, are, they are professional military. But they, you see, the triangle of power and hate in USSR is the party at the top, mm-hmm. the party elite, the oligarchy of the party, then the military and the KGB at the bottom. Mm-hmm. They hate each other, and uh, the most hated triangle, uh, the most hated corner of the triangle is the Communist Party bureaucrats. They are the most adventuristic senile megalomaniacs. They can start war, I wouldn't be surprised. Not the military, they know what war is. At least my father did. This is the picture taken at at the entrance of my Institute of Oriental Languages. It's a part of Moscow State University. I uh, graduated in 1963, and I... Now, excuse me, which one were you on? I, yeah. I am on the right. You're on the right. And on the left is my uh, colli- uh, my schoolmate, Vadim Smirnov, who later was an apparatchik in the Central Committee of the Soviet Union Communist Party. What is an apparatchik? It's, it's a, it's a function. something like civil service uh, in British Empire. Some, someone who is never fired from, from the service. He stays there internally. He may not be promoted too high, but he's a dependable um, bureaucrat who will stay forever. Uh, I studied not only languages, but also history, literature, in, even music. I'm, I'm, on this picture, I'm trying to learn how to play musical in, uh, Indian musical instrument. I even tried to look like an Indian when I was second-year student. Not bad, right? Uh, yes, and actually it was strongly in- encouraged by the, by the instructors in my school, because uh, this, the graduates of my school were later on employed as diplomats, foreign journalists or spies. Uh, as every Soviet student, I was, quote-unquote, volunteering for harvesting grain in Kazakhstan. This is the biggest uh, agricultural blunder of the Soviet government. Uh, but um, I didn't have much choice, of course, because the communist motto, borrowed from the Bible, says, "Those who do not work shall not eat." And you can see me eating. Therefore, I was working, and you can see how happy I was about it. I went through a very extensive physical and military training, uh, including the manure, uh, including the uh, military games in, in uh, uh, areas, uh, suburban areas of Moscow. And here, for example, we are on a tour in Arkhangelsk area. And by the end of my training in school, I was recruited by the KGB. This picture was taken on that day, and you can see again how happy it feels to be recruited by the KGB.
3: Our conversation with Yuri Alexandrovich Besmianov, who is a defector from the Soviet Union, a former propaganda agent for Novosti and the KGB, will continue after this message.
4: As every student in USSR, I I went through very extensive physical and military training and civil defense training too, unlike in United States where civil defense is virtually non-existent, zero. Uh, In USSR, every uh, student, whatever is major subject, has to go through very extensive four-year military and civil defense training. You can see me here with a group of students during one of the war games near Moscow. Uh, The main idea, of course, is to prepare uh, a huge reserve army of of the USSR. Each student has to, to graduate as a junior lieutenant. In my case, it was administrative and military intelligence service. My first assignment was to India as a translator with the Soviet economical aid group building refinery complexes in Bihar state and Gujarat state. At that time I was still naively, uh, idealistically believing that what I was doing contributes to the understanding and cooperation between the nations. Uh, It took me quite a number of years to realize that what we were bringing to India was a new type of colonialism, thousand times more oppressive and exploitative than any colonialism or imperialism in, in history of mankind. Uh, But at that time I was still hoping that well, maybe it's not that bad could be worse and things may go for better and I even tried to Implement the beautiful Marxist motto proletarians of all the countries unite. I tried to unite with a nice Indian girl (laughs) And I was actually I was fascinated (laughs) by Indian culture by by the family life in, in this country but obviously Communist Party had different plans for my genes so I had to marry This beautiful Russian girl. Uh, In the span of my career I married three times. Most of these marriages were marriages of convenience on advice from the Department of Personnel. This is normal practice in USSR. When a Soviet citizen is assigned to a foreign job he has to be married either to keep family in USSR as hostages or if it's a convenience marriage like mine uh, so that the husband and wife are virtually informers on each other to prevent defection or uh, contamination by decadent imperialist or capitalist ideas. In my case, I hated that girl so much that the moment I landed in Moscow, we, uh, we were divorced and I, uh, I married later, second time. By the end of my first assignment in India, I was promoted to the position of, of public relations officer. You can see me here translating a speech by a Soviet boss. And on you're on the right. I'm on the right here, yes. And it was the occasion was commissioning of the refinery complex in Bihar, Barauni. Uh, back in Moscow, I was immediately recruited by Novosti Press Agency, which is a propaganda and ideological subversion front for the KGB. 75% of the members of the Novosti are commission officers of the KGB, The other 25 are, like myself, co-opted agents who are assigned to specific operations. In this particular case, you can see me talking to students of Lumumba Friendship University in Moscow. Um, This is a a huge school under the uh, direct control of the KGB and Central Committee where future leaders of the so-called National Liberation Movements are being educated and selected carefully. And some of them have absolutely, they neither this, for example, is a group of students from Lumumba. They don't look like students at all. They look more like military and that's exactly what they were. They were dispatched back to their countries to be leaders of the so-called National Liberation Movements or to be translated into normal human language, leaders of uh, international terrorist groups. Another uh, area of activity when I was working for the Novosti, was to accompany groups of so-called progressive intellectuals, writers, journalists, publishers, uh, teachers, professors of of colleges. You can see me here in Kremlin, I'm second on on the left, with a group of Pakistani and Indian intellectuals. Uh, Most of them pretended they don't understand that uh, we are actually working on behalf of the Soviet government and the KGB. They pretended that they are actually being guests, VIP intellectuals, that they are treated according to their merits and and, and their intellectual abilities. For us, they were just a bunch of political prostitutes to be taken advantage for various propaganda operations. Therefore, you can see perfectly well the senior colleague of mine on the left doesn't really have that much respect on his face and myself with a very skeptical smile uh, typical KGB sarcastic smile Anticipating another victim of, of ideological brainwashing This is how a, a typical uh, conference in Novosti headquarters in Moscow look like uh, th- Sitting in the middle is Boris Burkov The then director of Novosti Press Agency High-ranking party bureaucrat in the Department of Propaganda I am standing next to a famous Indian poet Sumitranandan Pant uh, he was famous because he was an author, he was the author of a famous poem titled Rhapsody to Lenin. That's why he was invited to USSR and everything was paid uh, by the Soviet government. Uh, pay special attention to number of bottles on the table. This is one of the ways to kill the awareness or curiosity of, of foreign journalists. My, one of my functions was to keep foreign guests Permanently intoxicated, the moment they land at Moscow Airport, I had to take them to the VIP launch and toast to friendship and understanding between the nations of the world. Glass of vodka, then a second glass of vodka, and in no time, my guests would be feeling very happy. They would see everything in kind of pink, nice color, and uh, that's the way I, I had to keep them permanently for the next 15 or, or 20 days. At certain point in time, I had to withdraw alcohol from them so that some of them who are the most recruitable would feel a little bit shaky, guilty, trying to remember what they were talking last night. That's the time to approach them with all kind of nonsense such as joint communique or statement for for Soviet propaganda. Uh, That's the time they are the most flexible. And of course, what they didn't understand, they didn't realize or pretended not to realize, that myself, who was drinking together with them, uh, was not drinking at all. I had ways to get rid of alcohol through various techniques, including special pills which were given to me by my colleagues. Uh, but they were taking it seriously. In other words, they, they, they would consume quite a large volumes of alcohol and feel quite uneasy next morning. Um, in 1967, the KGB attached me to this magazine, Look Magazine, a group of 12 people arrived to USSR from the United States to cover the 50th anniversary of October Socialist Revolution in my country. From the first page to the last page, it was a package of lies, propaganda cliché, which were presented to American readers as opinions and deductions of American journalists. Nothing could be far from truth. These were not opinions, they were not opinions at all, uh, they were the cliches which the Soviet propaganda wants American public to think that they think. That if it does make any sense at all. It sure does, because from the viewpoint of the Soviet propaganda, although there are some subtle criticisms of the Soviet system, the basic message is that Russia today is a nice, functioning efficient system, supported by majority of population. That's the biggest lie. And, of course, American intellectuals and journalists from Luke Magazine elaborated on that untruth in various different ways. They intellectualized that lie. They found all kinds of justifications for telling lies to American public.
3: Um, I mean, this is excuse me, it was partly your job... To make sure that they got these ideas yes. and accepted them as their own
4: ideas. Right. Actually, even before they arrived to USSR, and they paid astronomical sum of money for that visit, uh, they were submitted, uh, the, this novice press agency developed so-called backgrounders, 20-25 pages of information and opinions, which were presented to the journalists even before they bought their tickets to Moscow. They had to analyze the situation and judging on their reaction to that background, the local mobility representative or local Soviet diplomat in Washington DC would assess whether they have, whether they be given visa to USSR or not.
3: Yeah. So but they were it, selected ahead oh of yes, time. Yes,
4: they were, they were pre-selected very carefully and uh, there is not much chance for honest journalists to arrive to USSR and to stay there for one year and to bring this uh, package of lies back home. This, for example, is a centerfold of the ty- of, of the Look magazine. They presented this monument erected by Communist Party in Stalingrad as the symbol, personification of Russian military might. And they said in the article which is published on, on the site that Soviets are very proud of the victory in the Second World War. This is another big myth, a lie. No sensible people would be proud to lose 20 millions of their countrymen in a war which was started by Genosse Hitler and Comrade Stalin, and paid by American multinationals. Most of the Soviet citizens look at this type of monuments with disgust and sorrow, because every family lost father, brother, sister, or child in the Second World War. Yet, American journalists who were trying to appease, to please their hosts, presented this picture on the centerfold as the symbol and personification of Soviet national uh, They call it Russian national spirit and it was greatest Greatest misconception and and a very tragic misunderstanding Of course Luke magazine was not distributed in USSR. The main uh, audience was in United States but Uh, I presume that many Americans, millions of Americans who were reading Look magazine at that time had absolutely wrong idea about the sentiments of my nation, about what the Soviets are proud of and what they hate. This is a group, you see the same lady with the sword in Stalingrad, this is the group of journalists. Myself is in the center with the same devilish smile and mr philip harrington is on the extreme left there with with his camera uh- all right guys uh, fredo in the chat was
0: just saying that he would love to hear some commentary from us cuz he could watch this uh, on his own uh, alone so i thought i would uh, take a break real briefly and uh, and get some thoughts from you guys thus far you know the um uh, the 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 tools that the soviets used to influence politically and ideologically the people here in America, you know, pretending that, you know, life was better, uh, that the system was better, that, uh, you know, it, it, there was less oppression, that somehow imperialist America was the true enemy of the world. Uh, it really seemed to have worked. You know, I mean, we have a lot of people and we can see uh, in the modern education system how socialists and communists have infiltrated and have completely taken over the minds of our children. And obviously, the, like, the boomer generation, they were there throughout the, the, uh, the majority of the Cold War. They witnessed it firsthand, so they had a, a, a firsthand understanding of it. Then we have, you know, Brad, and, and, you know, actually all three of us were of the, the same Gen X generation. Uh, we kind of saw the fall of the Soviet Union, and the, and we had the firsthand understanding of what life was like before and after. But now the children that are coming up, I guess the millennials or whatever the uh, generation after them is, they have no exposure to socialism or communism in un- any other respect than what their teachers are telling them. Uh, and through the ideology that is being pressured on them through popular media and social media like TikTok. Yes. Ross? Yeah, it's a very, uh,
2: everything here is very psychological. And, and like you're saying, the, the things that the psychological impact of TikTok and all these different things, uh, it's like they've used this over the years. I like uh, some of the things he was saying, uh, just kind of like the psychological impact of someone telling him, Oh, be careful when you cross in the street. Like basically a threat without being a threat. And then him basically saying that if they expect you to be intimidated and almost insinuating that. If you do get intimidated by that and you start being affected by it, they'll see blood in the water and then they'll pile on. Or if you kind of just let it go, it's kind of the way to defeat it. Because I kind of feel that way with this sort of stuff. I feel like it's almost like they want you to speak your demise into existence Absolutely. to give them permission. And so I thought that was a pretty interesting thing and a couple other points. But but definitely uh, – I. It's very much you can tell the Soviets were very much into psychological manipulation and
0: our country too. Uh Ivan, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean it just he's gonna go through this process of uh what you know, what he describes the subversion process and uh you know, you the four steps demoralization, destabilization, crisis, and normalization, he's gonna go go into detail. But yeah. bottom line, I think as it applies to what we're seeing here, like the demoralization process. I think the first instance of when we saw this in our country was in the sixties when we went, I mean, this was not only in the United States, but if you look at Mexico and other places and even right. a couple of places you mentioned in Europe, uh, the was, Soviet yeah. Union was doing this model everywhere when as it applies to the United States, the whole civil rights, the, the, uh, the cultural revolution that was going on in the sixties, this was all kind of fomented or instigated by the Soviet Union and going Absolutely. into colleges going into these different uh, movements to kind of change that culture of the country now well, <laughs> it reached its apex in the early late 70s when you have a right a democrat uh president there uh what's his name carter mm-hmm. and then luckily we had this absolute rejection of that movement with Ronald Reagan coming in with the landslide electoral victory. And so for 10 years, almost for eight years, when he was the president and then followed by uh Bush senior, you had that pause. And there was that rejection of communism. And we were able to push back against the Soviet union, but at the same time, during that period of time, the power shift went from the Soviet union in terms of the communist cultural kind of Marxist movement over to China. And that's mm-hmm. when China started to build its capability into the nineties. Then you saw it, right? Uh, because America kind of focused more on, uh, didn't really do much as it applies to Soviet Union. Uh, there was a the little bit of expansion of NATO, but there wasn't any pushback really against China. There was more of the, the coupling with China economically.
0: Well, I, and, I, I remember mm-hmm. back at, at that time, you know, the, the popular, uh, you know, economic and political theories was that uh, that that America was going to bring China into the global community and through yeah. that integration of, uh, you know, their people and their economy, that we would somehow then spread American exceptionalism and show them that our system was so much better. Uh, although we said that we were going to do that, what we did instead uh, was essentially just export the best parts of our nation, you know, what kept us great and what kept us afloat economically. And we just passed them off onto China and made them stronger. And I think it's also really interesting that, uh, you know, when the pendulum swung, when Reagan came into office, uh, you know, it, he had attempted to push us even further away from communism and, and from away away from leftist policies but then of course they attempted to assassinate him almost as soon as he got into office uh and uh, and i think that george h w bush had a hand in that obviously with his association with the cia uh, you know, the CIA was kind of working on in the same modus operandi as the Russian communists were throughout the Cold War. You know, I, I was really struck by what Yuri said about the uh, progressive intellectuals, uh, because I'd say that's probably the the biggest problem, the, the biggest covert issue that we have here in America today. <clears throat> because they don't present themselves necessarily as uh you know political ideologues all the time you know sometimes uh they present themselves just as you know uh, uh thinkers you know i mean they're just people with ideas and they're just trying to challenge people uh but nowadays it really does seem that they're all aligned in a certain direction and uh they can be a lot more open about it than they have been necessarily over the last 20 years
2: yeah they definitely are getting more open about it. They're more brazen, and you could see all the parallels as it's going along the way. Like you're saying, how kind of like the CIA, what they were doing here, parallels what they were also doing. And you kind of wonder where they blurred the lines a little bit. And one of the things that I thought was interesting, which really paralleled, was he was talking about the use of journalism. Yes. And how, how they were vetting the journalists going in there. That, that's very fascinating, how they'd give them something pre- prehand, uh a bunch of BS and then see how they reacted to it. If they reacted good, they'd let them in. If not otherwise they they kind of do that a lot here with these with our journalists. That they kind of hand pick who they want to do the stories and who's gonna do it right and who's gonna, you know, give it the Obama spin per se or Who's going to give it the real spin? And those are the ones who get let in. And then, of course, getting them drunk. That's the oldest trick in the book. Right? I mean,
0: I see a lot of parallels here between yeah. the tactics of the Soviets and the tactics of the CIA uh, that we have today. You know, although yeah. perhaps, you know, China is the the driving communist uh, influential force uh, on the global stage and here in America. You know, there is a, a lot of this stuff that's happening that it has perhaps been taken by the CIA and then implemented for their own benefit. Not necessarily for communism, uh, but just for whatever political power structure will most benefit the agency and, uh, the people who are pulling the strings there.
2: Yeah. I, I have a couple. Pulling the strings in general, right? Any way you
0: yeah. can control the population, anything that works, just try it all. <laughs> So I've got a couple of thank yous that came through in this first portion here. So let me just say, uh, Freight Awakening, he said, it's pretty obvious why McCarthy went against J.R. Majewski and Kent. Uh, they would have stood next to Gates and company. Absolutely. They would have been part of that freedom. Full
1: stop. Group. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, they would have been probably even more vocal. Cause think about it. If you got two, three people with you, it's kind of, I don't, I don't want to say mob mentality, but when you got two, bol- you know, two of your closest fighters with you, it's unstoppable. Cause sorry. let's just say, I mean, psychologically, like, especially Joe Kent, uh, he, he's seen some stuff. I know where he's been. Uh, not, nothing's going to really bend his will, right? And even Laura Loomer, imagine Laura Loomer on the house floor. She would have ripped Kevin McCarthy's face absolutely sure. at, off his body just from her rhetorical ability without using a single expletive. Sure, she would have absolutely. just lit him up in the nomination process, probably for Donald J. Trump. <laughs>
0: and there, there certainly is something to be said for strength in numbers. Definitely, uh, Critter Blitz said uh, you do a much better job with your live shows than some other people we know. Haha, <laughs> Good job. Thank you very much. I have no idea who that's referring to, but I appreciate it. I certainly do try to do the best job I can for you guys. Uh, Freight Awakening. He said uh, nobody paid attention to Yuri's warnings. Just like everyone ignored the warnings of Bill Cooper. Now that we're living in it, people need to see what both predicted. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm worried about, guys, uh, is that for those members of American society who have had no exposure to the horrors of any of this stuff, you know, how are they going to gain the perspective that's necessary uh, to recognize that this is not a system that we should have here. You know, I, I'm and I'm specifically thinking and drawing a connection to what Yuri was saying about his youth in Russia uh, when he was an idealistic young communist and he believed that uh, the motherland was truly the end all be all. You know, I kind of see the same types of behavior among just the most radical leftists out there in America today. You know, we see their behavior. We see the results of policy. And for us, it's so patently obvious. I mean, this is a bad deal and this is not the direction we should be going. But for them, they don't know any different and they have been completely brainwashed. So they've got no perspective on the situation.
2: Yeah, right. Like, I could tell you aliens are going to come down and destroy the whole planet, and then if it happens in 10 years, people will be like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, I warned you guys, but how would anyone ever know that you really had to take that seriously unless it was kind of staring you in the
0: face? Right, right. Uh, Low Country Brooklyn also said that Pierre Trudeau, as in Justin Trudeau's father, and I said, as in Justin Trudeau's caretaker, because Castro was his father. We had a conversation <laughs> about that in the chat. Uh, Fredo Dude. I'll. Also said, uh, but while oh, but while off topic, but while the sheets from My Pillow are awesome, the towels are that much better. Not kidding, and I'm not getting anything monetarily from this opinion. Super absorbent and soft. Use RP78 as a discount code when you go to the My Pillow store. Thank you very very much for that. <laughs> we use all My Pillow stuff. They hooked us up uh, as uh, uh, as sponsors of the show. Uh, Butterfly63 said, "I love My Pillow coffee. That the My Pillow coffee is the one thing I have not tried." From uh, Mike's uh, uh, coterie of products, uh, Low Country Brooklyn also said misinformation in the military. Make sure you check out Ivan Raikland's interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox Nation. If you guys didn't know it, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ivan was interviewed by Tucker for his Fox Nation program. That's the one you got to have a subscription to. So you might find some clips of it out there. Uh, but uh, the clips that I've seen were top-notch, and Ivan, of course, said that he had a great time hanging out with Tucker. I really hope that they bring Ivan back uh, as some type of a regular commentator because I think he has some good perspective. Uh, and then Fredo, this is when he said, I would love to hear some commentary. So I'm hopefully this is uh, going to satiate your need there. Uh, appreciate that, buddy. And then Cody117 with two twenty dollars Super Chats. I really appreciate that generosity, Cody. First of all, and now that the Soviet Union has collapsed, Russia has rebuilt and become way more moral than any Western country. I hope the US doesn't have to get this bad before it corrects itself. Brad, we've talked about this before, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid that we almost might have to because again, how is this younger generation going to get any perspective on the situation unless they're forced to go through the worst aspects of what they're asking for? All right. And they kind of are. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like we have hit a crescendo
2: these last 10 years where just a complete demoralization. The demoralization period, he's going to state very soon is about 10 years. But I feel like we're like 50 years deep at this point, yeah. And it's just hit a complete head.
0: I think this is what unfortunately needed to happen. I do. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I can agree with you there. <clears throat> and this is why I say, you know, uh, we got to keep our morale up. You've got to continue to fight. You've got to be prepared. OK, uh, we may not want America to have to go down the darkest possible timeline path. Uh, but just in case it happens, you need to have all your ducks in a row to ensure that you and your family are safe. Uh, and then Cody also said what we're facing in this country isn't political or minor disagreements about taxes anymore. It's cultural and moral. It just makes me wonder what will have to be done to correct this. Um, and, you know, this is something else we've talked about recently, Brad, on the show, but, you know, that pendulum swings naturally. Uh, it seems like society throughout the ages will swing from, you know, one extreme to the next. It's like you get so far to the left and then everybody reacts to course correct and pushes you all the way back over to the right. And then, you know, sometimes they go so far to the right and that's when you have, you know, like, uh, uh, some some uh, some really despotic rulers. And, uh, you know, I can think about some governments down in uh, Central and South America, you know, things that we supported, yeah. um, you know, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's a scary thing. But I, I would I would hope that in our modern age with as as many deep thinkers as we have, uh, people can come to an arrangement where it doesn't have to be uh, such a drastic shift from one to the next. You know, I mean. Uh, America has the potential to be a moderate nation with conservative values, uh, that respects human life and, uh, doesn't put people in prison for showing up in Washington D.C. to, uh, make their voices heard. Uh, because, right. and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems, but, you know, that's why I say we've all got to be involved. Uh, Fred Awakening says, very generous, Cody. Great takes. Thank you very much. And then, uh, E-S-A-D-M-F with a $63 super chat. Thank you very, very much. Says, division is what ruined us. We are finally back on the bumpy, rough, potholed road to unity. The dividers, <laughs> liars, are about to be done. Uh, yes, that is certainly true. You know, it, it, you know, the, and, and I couldn't help but think while Yuri was, uh, speaking with G. Edward Griffin there, you know, um the, in the same way that they had uh people placed in um you know political positions social clubs journalists uh you know uh, uh positions to do cultural outreach between the two nations of India and Russia you know they've got people that are are set up specifically just to infiltrate something and not even appear to be as if they're associated with Russia or they're working on behalf of the KGB uh and we undoubtedly have that happening in america today you know whether it's uh chinese agents that are inserted into american life uh whether it's anonymous accounts online that are pretending to be aligned with you so that they can just lead you down the the incorrect path uh or uh, up to and including politicians i mean it's it's a real danger Thanks. any thoughts on that guys before we uh go back to the the interview
2: yeah uh- it definitely, I mean, that's always going to be there. There's always going to be some entity, I think, putting people in, pretending to be not what they are. But as long as we stay true and and kind of like ESA, DMF is saying, kind of try and go towards that bumpy trail of unity, which it will never be fully united. Obviously, it's okay to have a little healthy discourse. But as long as we try to get as close as possible, I, I think that will that's where the answer will lie. You know what? I, I always kind of think of, uh, you were saying with the pendulum, right? I think of that a little bit as like a car, you ever like hydroplaning. And mm-hmm. then the, what's the big problem is if you overcome a thing, that's usually when the crash happens, you almost want to kind of go into it and turn back a little bit. And uh, basically you, you kind of want to, Get that pendulum just uh, just compensated enough to bring it to the middle, instead of just r- ripping it into this direction now. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, we'll get it right. I f- I feel like our policies probably, even though they call us far right, if people actually looked what a lot of our community feels, it's pretty reasonable. I feel so. I Absolutely. think we are
0: on that path. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, and then Brooklyn also said, we are seeing the onslaught of this communist program running via the Department of Public Instruction through the CDC and the UN Directive of SEL, Social Emotional Learning, Paulo Freer and Herbert Marcusa. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, in terms of like us coming together as a movement, people need to Step back from the idea that they are always right all the time. Instead of like believing that your line of thinking is the only way uh, to uh, approach a situation or to understand something, uh, recognize that, uh, you know, beliefs can sometimes be dangerous. You can believe something all you want, and it can still be incorrect. We've got to come from a point of logic and reason and critical thought. Uh, and, uh, and stay open to the idea that perhaps, uh, there are different perspectives that can complement our own that can help us, uh, lead ourselves out of this quagmire that we find ourselves in. Uh, okay. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and take us back to the interview. And here we go. Can I, can I make one real oh, quick comment? Yeah. Actually, go is ahead. That? Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Sorry. I was sitting out listening in. <laughs> I, I think when you said, or is it going to get to that point? I, I think. We are pushing back hard. And we saw that live before the whole world to see this week, this last week, that pushback against this Chinese Communist Party takeover with their number one agent sitting and squatting in the White House, right? And then from there, downstream, essentially, we took over our entire federal executive and pretty much at this point, legislature, uh, starting January 3rd, essentially, it was that pushback. And that Freedom Caucus was the one that really made that massive pushback with President Trump in the background providing that air support for those 20. Right. Yeah. And then we, the people providing that support as well from underneath to push to give them that spine to be able to push back against uh those you know, radical leftist policies. And if if the censorship wasn't there to include Kevin McCarthy's censorship of patriots, those 20 Freedom Caucus members would have been probably more like 40 to 60 Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're in the process of pushing back and regaining territory. So let's learn how they're doing it so we can continue to push harder.
0: Absolutely. Okay,
4: here we go. This is the gentleman which was so deaf or so uninterested in what I had to say to him. Uh, this is the same picture, a blow up of the same, of the same picture. Uh, many many guests from various countries, in this particular case from Asia and Africa, were taken by me, as a Novosti Press Agency employee, uh, for a tour across Siberia, for example. We would show them typical kindergarten, you see, nothing special by American standards, just nice children sitting, eating their breakfast or, or lunch. Uh, what they could not understand or they pretended not to understand that this is an exemplary kindergarten. This is not the kindergarten for average person or average family in USSR. And we maintain that illusion in their minds. You can see myself under the red spot in the middle there, uh with the same business like expression. I'm on you know, I'm doing my job. That that's what I'm assigned to do and that's what I was paid to do. But deep inside I still hope that at least some of this useful idiots would understand that what they are looking at has nothing to do with the level of affluence in my nation. This is a better picture which reflects the true spirit of of the Soviet, chi- uh, Soviet childhood. This picture was printed in a Canadian government publication by mistake. In the middle you can see children playing on a, sm- a small courtyard and the caption goes this is a typical kindergarten in Siberia. What these idiots didn't understand that it is not kindergarten at all. It is a prison for children of political prisoners. Mm. But there was not a single mentioning that what they were visiting actually was an area of concentration camps. And the job of people like myself to help them to n- not to notice that they are actually talking to prisoners. Most of the children were dressed, especially on the occasion of the foreigners' visit. Uh, uh, Of course, there were no corpses on the ground, there were no machine gun guards, and, uh, well, it looks not very pleasant, as you see. it, It looks dull, but obviously it does not create an impression that this is actually a prison.
3: Well, did any of the journalists have the uh, curiosity to ask about uh, prisons and that kind of yes. thing? They were in Siberia, This yes. is what you associate. Some of, yes,
4: some of them asked questions and naturally we, we would give them, the, for the stupid question, we give them stupid answer. No, there are no prisons in Siberia. No, most of the people who, are, who you see are free citizens of USSR. They are very happy to be here uh, and, and they are contributing to the glory of the socialist system. Uh, some of them pretended that They they believe what what I was uh, telling them. And um, most of them, we may discuss it later. What are the motivations of these people? Why would they stubbornly bring lies to their own population through their own mass media? I have various answers to this. There is not a single explanation. It's a complex of explanations. It's fear, pure biological fear. They understand that they are on the territory of an enemy state, a police state. And just to save their rotten skins and their miserable jobs, their affluence back home, they would prefer to tell a lie than to to ask truthful questions and and report truthful information. Second, most of these schmucks were uh, afraid to lose their jobs because obviously if you tell truth about my country, you will not last long as a correspondent of New York Times uh, or, or Los Angeles Times. They will fire you. What kind of correspondent are you? You obviously cannot find common language with Russians if they kick you out in 24 hours. So, just by, by trying to be conformist to their own editorial bosses, they tried not to offend the sentiments of the Soviet administrators and people like myself. Deep inside, I hope they would insult my uh, or offend my sentiments. Obviously, they preferred not to. Uh, another reason uh, I, di- I I refuse to believe it, but obviously there is another reason. Obviously it's a greed. These people earn a lot of money. When they come back to USA, they claim that they are experts in my country. They write books which sells in million copies, titled like Russians, the truth about Russia. Most of it is lie about Russia. Yet they claim to be Sovietologists. They, they bring, they play back myth about my country, the propaganda cliches. Yet, they stubbornly resist a, a, the word of truth. If a, a person like Solzhenitsyn is either defecting or kicked out of USSR, they try all their best to, dis, to discredit him and to discourage him. I don't have much chance to appear on national network uh, with a true story about my country. But a useful idiot like Hendrik Smith or Robert Kaiser They are big heroes. They come back from USSR. they say, Oh, we were talking to dissidents in Russia. Big deal. Soviet dissidents are chasing American correspondents in the streets. And they are cowardly escaping from these contacts. For some strange reason, if you want to know more about Spain, you refer to Spanish writers. If you want to learn more about French, you read French writers. Even about Antarctica, I bet you would read penguins. (laughs) <laughs> Only about the Soviet Union, for some strange reason, you read Hendrix and Schmendricks and all kinds of Kissingers. Because they <laughs> claim that they know more about my country. They know nothing or next to nothing. Or they pretend that they know more than they actually do. I would say they are dishonest people who lack integrity and uh, common sense and intellectual honesty. They bring back all kinds of stories like that. A kindergarten mm-hmm. in Siberia. Uh, meeting the most important fact, it's a prison for children of political prisoners. Uh, another greatest example of monumental idiocy of American politicians, uh, Edward Kennedy was in Moscow. And he thought that he is a popular, charismatic American politician who is easygoing, who can smile, dance at the wedding in, in Russian Palace of Marriages. What he did not understand, or maybe he pretended not to understand that actually he was being taken for a ride. This is a staged wedding specially to impress foreign media or or useful idiots like Ed Kennedy. Most of the the guests there, they they had security clearance and they were instructed what to say to foreigners. This is exactly what I was doing. You can see me in the same damn wedding palace in Moscow where Ed Kennedy was dancing here, you see smiling. He thinks he is very smart. From the viewpoint of Russian citizens who observe this idiocy he is, he is narrow-minded, egocentrical idiot who tries to earn his own popularity through, the, uh, through participation in propaganda farces like this. Here you can see myself. On the right again, exemplary Soviet bride. On the left three journalists from various countries, Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Obviously, they enjoying the situation. They, they will go back home and write the reports. We were present the, on the regular Soviet wedding. They were not present on the regular Soviet wedding. They were present, they were part of a farce, of a circus performance. Uh, another thing which I had to sometimes risking my life to explain to foreigners Time Magazine, for example, is very critical of South African racist regime. The whole article was dedicated to the shameful internal passport si- system where black, blacks are not allowing to live with whites. For some strange reason, for the last 14 years since my defection, nobody wanted to pay attention to my passport. This is my passport. It also shows my nationality. And it, it, it has a police rubber stamp which is called Propiska in Russian language, which assigns me to a certain area of residence. I cannot leave that area, same way as this black man cannot leave the area in South Africa. Yet we call South African government racist regime. Not a single Jane, Jane Schmonda or Fonda is brave enough, courageous enough to come to media and say, look, this is what happens in USSR. I send a copy of, of my passport to many American liberals and civil rights uh, defenders and, and all the other useful idiots. They never, they never bothered to answer me back. This shows what kind of integrity, what kind of honesty these people are. They are a bunch of hypocrites because they don't want to recognize a good example of racism in my country. This is the first stage of befriending a professor. You can see myself on the left with the same James Bond f- smile. On, my, <laughs> on the right is my KGB supervisor, comrade Leonid Mitrohin. And in the middle, a professor of political science in Delhi University. The next stage would be to invite him to a gathering of Indo-Soviet Friendship Society. There he is sitting next to his wife before he is being sent to USSR for free trip. Everything is paid by the Soviet government. He was made to believe that he is invited to USSR because he is a talented, sober-thinking, intellectual. Absolutely false. He is invited because he is a useful idiot, because he would agree and subscribe to most of the Soviet propaganda cliché. And when he is coming back to to his own country, he is going for years and years to teach the beauties of Soviet socialism to uh, newer and newer generations of his students thus promoting the soviet propaganda line uh... the kgb was even curious about this gentleman it may look innocent maharishi mahesh yogi a great spiritual leader or maybe a great charlatan and crook depending on which from which side you're looking at him uh, Beatles were trained at his ashram in hardwar in india how to meditate mia faro and and other uh... useful idiots from hollywood visited <laughs> his uh, school and they returned back to the United States absolutely zoned out of their minds with marijuana, hashish and crazy ideas of meditation. To meditate, in other words, to isolate oneself from the current social and political issues of your own country. To get into your own bubble, to forget about troubles of the world. Obviously, KGB was very fascinated with such a beautiful school. Such a, a brainwashing center for stupid Americans. I was dispatched by the KGB to check what kind of VIP Americans attend this school. That's you on the left. Yes, I'm on the mm. left. Uh, I, I, I was trying to get enrolled in that school. Unfortunately, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi asked too much. He wanted 500 American dollars for enrollment. But my function was not actually to get enrolled in the school. My function was to discover what kind of people from United States attend this school and we discovered that yes there are some influential members of family uh p- public opinion makers of United States who come back with the crazy stories about Indian philosophy Indians themselves look up upon them as idiots useful idiots to say nothing about KGB who looked at them as as, as extremely naive misguided people Obviously, a VIP, say a wife of, of, of a congressman or, or a prominent Hollywood personality, after, the, after being trained in that school, is much more instrumental in the hands of, of manipulators of public opinion and KGB than a normal person who, who understands, who, who looks through this, this, uh, this, this type of, of uh, fake religious training. But why would they be more susceptible to manipulation? I just mentioned that because, you see, a, a person who is too much involved in, 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 in introspective meditation, you see, if you carefully look, what, what Maharishi Mahesh Yogi is teaching to, to Americans is that all, most of the problems, most of the burning issues of today can be solved simply by meditating. Don't, don't, don't rock the boat. Don't get involved. Just sit down, look at your navel, and meditate. And the things, due to some strange logic, due to cosmic vibration, will, will, will settle down by themselves. This is exactly what the KGB and Marxist-Leninist propaganda wants from Americans. To distract their uh, opinion, uh, attention, and mental energy from real issues of the United States into a non-issues, into a non-world, non-existent uh, harmony. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's more beneficial for the Soviet aggressors to have a bunch of duped Americans than Americans who are self-conscious, healthy, uh, physically fit, and alert to to the reality. Mm -hmm. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, obviously, is not on the payroll of the KGB. But whether he knows it or not, he contributes greatly to demoralization of American society. And he is not the only one. There are hundreds of those gurus who come to, you, to your country to capitalize on naivete and stupidity of, of Americans. It's a fashion. It's a fashion to meditate. It's a fashion not to be involved. So, obviously, you can see that if, if KGB were uh, that curious, if they paid my trip to Hardwar, if they assigned me to that, to that strange <laughs> job, obviously, they were very much fascinated. They were convinced that that type of, of, of brainwashing is very efficient and instrumental in demoralization of the United States. Our
3: conversation with Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov, who is a defector from the Soviet Union, a former propaganda agent for Novosti and the KGB, will continue after this message.
4: This picture shows the part of the building of USSR embassy and my supervisors. On the left is Comrade Mehdi, an Indian communist, and on the right Comrade Mitrohin. My supervisors in the secret department of research and counter-propaganda. It has nothing to do with either research or counter-propaganda. Most of the activity of that department was to compile huge amount, volume of information on individuals who were instrumental in creating public opinion publishers, editors, journalists, uh, actors, educationalists, professors of political science, members of parliament, uh, 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 representatives of business circles. Most of these people were divided roughly into groups. Those who would tow the Soviet foreign policy, they would be promoted to the positions of power through media and public opinion manipulation. Those who refused the Soviet influence in their own country would be character assassinated or executed physically come revolution same way as in a small town of Hue in South Vietnam several thousands of Vietnamese were executed in one night when the city was captured by Viet Cong for only two days and American CIA could never figure out how could possibly communists know each individual where he lives, where, where to get him and would be arrested in one night basically in, in some four hours before dawn put on a van, taken out of the city limits, and shot? The answer is very simple. Long before Communists occupied the city, there was extensive network of informers, local Vietnamese citizens, who knew absolutely everything about people who were instrumental in public opinion, including barbers and taxi drivers. Everyone who was sympathetic to the United States was executed. Same thing was done under the guidance of, of the Soviet Embassy in Hanoi. And same thing I was doing in New Delhi. To my horror, I discovered that in the files where people were doomed to execution, there were names of, of pro-Soviet journalists with whom I was personally friendly. Pro-Soviet? Yes. They were idealistically minded leftists who uh, made several visits to USSR. And yet, the KGB decided that come revolution or drastic changes in political structure of India, they will have to go. Why is that? Because they, <laughs> they know too much. Mm-hmm. Simply because you see the useful idiots, the the leftists who are idealistically believing in the beauty of Soviet socialist or communist or whatever system. When they get disillusioned, they become the worst enemies. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made the point: never bother with leftists. Forget about these political prostitutes. Aim higher. This was my instruction, try to get into, into uh, large circulation established conservative media. Reach filthy rich movie makers, intellectuals, so-called academic circles, cynical egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the most recruitable people, people who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or too uh, suffer from self-importance, uh, they feel that uh, they they matter a lot. Uh,
0: you guys, I'd like to take a break right there, because that's really interesting to me that uh, he was directed by his superiors at the KGB to shoot higher, to uh, uh, to to go for the moon, basically go beyond the useful idiots and the leftist intellectuals and specifically conservative media. Um, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yes, I mean, uh, uh, applying it to today, uh not only are the institutions at the highest levels uh on the left, which basically today would equate to big tech, big media, uh, and then also corporations, right? The yeah. most influential institutions, I mean, think about it. If you're a, co- a country trying to influence another country, you got to start at the top to be able to influence downstream from there. Remember, we heard a few months ago, it was last year that somebody testified before Congress where there was a... Chinese spy inside of Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I think in the exchange it was, well, if there's one, like, what's the, what's the big deal if there are multiple? Okay. Apply that by Facebook, you know, multiply that by Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, obviously downstream from that Instagram and, uh, WhatsApp. And then why don't you move over to to New York? Since we just covered, you know, the Silicon Valley area, why don't you just go to New York and have somebody? Oh, I don't know, at Phone News, CNN, MSDNC, That's another three people. And then why not continue to amplify that in Big Pharma, and then so on and so forth? And that's, I think, again, this is a hypothesis, but the evidence is overwhelming to support it. To to lay claim that it seems to be a systematic and deliberate subversion of our institutions to absolutely. reach the goal of pitting everybody against each other for that internal destruction to create the chaos necessary to weaken American society, thus allowing for China to continue to rise globally. I think that's the end state.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, specifically thinking about Fox News and, and the kind of the about face that they've gone through over the last couple of years, you know, like uh they, they were never necessarily America first, definitely supporting Trump throughout Trump's uh, administration because that's what was popular. It's what got them the ratings. But, you know, when mm-hmm. it was time to turn on Trump, they did. Uh And in turn, they have turned their backs on the American people. What do we know about Paul Ryan and any possible connections to uh, to China from his time in politics? Anyone? Yeah, I don't know about his direct ties to
1: China, but... I've heard and I haven't run this to the ground, but maybe other people can chime in that are in the chat. But, uh, Paul Ryan was at the inauguration for Glenn Youngkin along with Ronald Romney. Okay. January of 2022, just like, mm-hmm. uh, a, a year ago. And that was my assessment is as follows. Uh, I heard internal chatter that, you know, Trump offered to attend Glenn Youngkin and company refused. And so let next thing you hear that there's a Trump rally. In Arizona on the same day that Glenn Youngkin has his his uh, inauguration, so right. it didn't really get much fanfare the inauguration. But at the end of the day, faux news and Paul Ryan, who sits on the board, was the one that broadcast the inauguration. Essentially, you know, carte blanche, right? And they gave him carte blanche access during his run for governor. So that relationship is close. I'm hearing between Paul Ryan and Youngkin. Youngkin used to be the co-founder of. Or excuse me, co-CEO of Carlisle, mm-hmm. which has deep connections and investments, well, uh, in, large he, amounts of sums in, in China. So indirectly yeah. through that, through Glenn Youngkin, and I hear that they, Paul Ryan sits on one of Youngkin's, uh, charities, 501c3s. Mm-hmm. So indirectly, there could be a connection there. That's the closest I've been able to find. So well,
0: Car- Carlisle group, I mean, is a, is, is a, is a public offshoot of the CIA. And Glenn Youngkin is right there in, uh, you know, spook country. That's, that's the, the state that he's basically, uh, ruling over. Um, Brad, a- any thoughts on this? <clears throat> well, yeah, as
2: far as them going after targets on the right as well, I guess that's the ultimate goal, right? You want right. to, ultimately you'd want to control everything. And then like, like Ivan was saying, you can pit your people against each other and then you can start causing as much chaos as possible. And, uh, here they've definitely achieved that what long before and even for uh, it's funny because like say fox news they did support trump however they i remember watching the lead up to 2016 and they actually were hitting trump a lot Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until he got the nomination or it was like something like june right roughly in 2016 june-ish that they finally, you could see them like around August start reluctantly supporting him, and then Mm -hmm. they were pretty much on his side throughout. But they were already showing their true colors before that, and I think and kind of going more towards Jeb and things like that. And I thought that was, I always found that very interesting in the beginning, and I think it now we know their true colors, but I think some of that stuff was even in place even before Paul Ryan took over, before a lot of people were pushed out. And different things. I think they've had a nice little comfy hold on a lot of different places. Probably not as strong as a foothold on the right, obviously, because we we have a lot of rogue kind of rogue uh, people and stuff and our own movement and others like it before us, the tea party and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I, they definitely had some of that and you could see that they were had a false reality going. They had us believe in no, they weren't involved in anything. And they were kind of just pitting us here, pitting us there and playing ping pong with the two sides. And that is the ultimate goal. So I'm not surprised that they had said you're even back then. They wanted him to target um, both sides.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I want to go through the, uh, the, the gold pills over on Fox. We'll see if there's any other questions that they've had about what we've watched so far. Uh, Filter Dog One, he said, let's kick it. Sean Joe dropped, uh, one cookie, then Porpoiseful, then Sean Joe dropped another one and said, great job on Tucker, Ivan. He enjoyed your interview. Uh, D appreciate 17- it, thank you. Yep. Yeah, D Patriot says, hold the line, Patriots. Uh, True Grit says, what if Trump has enough dirt on McCarthy that Trump's gonna play their blackmail game and Kevin McCarthy will stay in line? Uh, personally, guys, I, that's something that I have considered, uh, because obviously from your counterintelligence investigation, uh, there is enough <laughs> dirt on Kevin, <laughs> there's enough dirt on Kevin McCarthy, uh, to keep him controlled if you've got the dirt to uh, use against him. What, what are your thoughts?
1: That was the purpose of making that.
0: (laughs) Hand it off to
1: POTUS.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's out there for the public to consume, right? Right, right. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Uh let's see. Thank you True Grit. Uh 23 and on. Thank you for those shades. Uh crate creative create, creative fighter dropped a cookie. Mm. Liberty Bells as well. Sean Joe, thank you for that cookie. Spicoli says we need to send this video to our liberal friends and ask, "Does this sound familiar?" Yeah, I have to be honest. I think this is required viewing for anyone with an IQ over you know seventy five <laughs> you know people need to watch <laughs> this interview uh you know any lower than that they just might be completely over their head but uh man, well I sp- maybe maybe I'm shooting low but uh matt seventeen seventy six he said t g i f red pill good to see you buddy uh cap seventy eight thank you for the can Matt also said cheers tonight cheers to you as well l w cross thanks for that cookie rise the tire says bezmenov Russia is psyoping us to think Russia is great, and the u s a is bad us now, Russia is the best Western country. Well, how about that? That's actually very correct. You know, I mean the the whole plan throughout the entirety of the Cold War and the the uh existence of the Soviet Union was to convince the West that Russia had a better system. Um and now a lot of us think that Russia is doing a lot better than what we have here in America. What are your thoughts on that guys? Brad Wait, wait I got
2: <laughs> that I got was some China. inception stuff right there, man. Yeah, you it know was. what? <laughs> And it's hard because once you start believing something like that, it's hard to turn it off. But it's certainly worth considering, right? Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, man, dude, you know, a lot of mine is based on the fact that Putin comes out saying the stuff that we say. I mean, I know Putin definitely doesn't have the greatest past. And, you know, all these big leaders, they have things you can point to. But nevertheless, sure. see, he comes out saying he's a world leader that says this base stuff that we're called – terrorists by the Washington Post for even thinking about. So it's like, wow, maybe they aren't so bad, but maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's a little appeal, trying to appeal
0: to us. All right. Ivan?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I
1: remember hearing this joke. It was basically, uh one was Khrushchev, I think it was in the 60s. So it was Khrushchev was president, uh, I guess, premier of the Soviet Union. And then at the time it was John F. Kennedy. And the joke was as follows. I mean, this is kind of like the whole PSYOP component that you were just discussing. The, uh, it was an international competition between Khrushchev and Kennedy. And the results were as follows, or basically the Soviet Union against the United States in some sort of international competition. And then the way that the Soviet media reported it is, uh, that, uh, let's see here, that the, they didn't, they didn't say that it was, uh, specifically two countries, they just said it was an international competition. Soviet Union got second place in this massive international competition, right? So second place, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. You're thinking mm-hmm. all 190 whatever countries. Meanwhile, they say, oh, uh, the United States got, uh, second to last, right? So second mm-hmm. place for the Soviet Union, second to last for the United States. Meanwhile, only two people competed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, how they twist everything. Absolutely. It's all about
1: perception. Cause if you're right. second from last and you're only two competitors, that means you're first.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Rise the Tire, thank you very much for that insightful statement. Space Coast Patriot says, hi guys, Di- divide and conquer is their plan and back the blue was designed mm-hmm. to bring attention to corrupt law enforcement and it did. Uh yeah I tend to think so. I mean obviously you know, we talk about supporting law enforcement, but we talk about supporting law enforcement that upholds the constitution. Obviously none of us want to be supporting police officers that are on the take uh or who are doing illegal things using their power to uh you know I guess exact revenge on average everyday people, petty uh implementation of the law, unequal implementation of the law. Uh,
2: tackling people for not wearing masks? Boy, that was yeah. an eye-opener. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, yes.
0: Switchrod says, uh, are DOD Intel three-letter agencies, unse- unelected bureaucrats, big tech pharma defense more dangerous than China? Well, I, th- I would say that uh, most of those uh, uh, segments that you mentioned are ideologically aligned with China. Um, and so I, I, the differentiation between the two uh, I think is difficult to see. Uh, because their interests are aligned and um, perhaps they are more dangerous because they are actually Americans. And so, therefore, they should be trusted, whereas we know that they can't be. Uh, Rise the says, why do we automatically assume Russia is no longer running game and it's just China? Aren't they allies? Oh, thank you. Yes, go uh, ahead. Yeah, and
1: I didn't mention. I was wanting to say that in the last segment when I was talking. I forgot to. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. So like I talked about in the Tucker piece. It's China's taking points. So they've they've become essentially the superpower. In some instances, militarily, we're still ahead. And some of the, and the other three components of the elements of national power, which would be diplomacy, information projection, as well as economics. China is is basically either on par or supplanted us. And I hate to say that, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm a America America first guy. But that's kind of what their agent in the White House has created for us, right? That dynamic, but they're being supported with the, all the institutional knowledge coming from the Soviet Union. So I argue that this Yuri Besmanov model and the institutions in Russia are helping China implement what Russia is going to benefit from as well uh, by China uh, deploying it against the United States. So I'd say, you know, the, the, uh, the primary adversary for us is China supported by Russia and indirectly also tangentially supported by Iran. So th- I mean, those are the three key players that are diluting our global influence. And I think I put this assessment out back in December of 2020 where it was, um, it'd be nice to pull up, but it'd be, uh, I'd have to take a couple of minutes to find it maybe for the next segment, okay. but China hmm. number one. Support it, and, and that's for global competition for first place. Russia's doing it in order to continue to weaken the United States so they can have a better relationship, uh, and influence throughout the region and the world. And then lastly, Iran for their retribution, if you will, from their perspective on what we did to, you know, terrorist leaders, Mohandas and, and, uh, uh, Soleimani. You
0: know, that's the kind other thing- end state. The other thing too is that with the fall of the Soviet Union and kind, you know the, the new Russian Federation uh, I I feel like the end goal has changed from a uh, you know a, a conquering in a political and a and a philosophical sense uh to uh, conquering in more of an economic sense you know Russia is obviously going to look out for the best interests of Russia on the global stage they they want to be number 1 whereas China uh is still interested in a philosophical uh, uh, conquering of the world, but, uh, you know, in the interest of their own economic models. Um, so it's a little bit different, you know, it, because back during the Cold War, it was all about spreading communism or, you know, spreading the American version of democracy, quote unquote. Uh, and uh, and so it's just a little bit different today. But that's 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 my uh, my take on it. Uh, Sean Joe says, Ivan, I believe the DOD is ground zero swamp. The military at the top is hopelessly lost. What is your opinion?
1: <laughs> well, I went directly after Austin and Millie for uh what they, I mean, I called them out in the Tucker show, but I- I'll say this. Okay. Short answer is at the leadership of every single one of our institutions, it's a yes. It's a resounding yes. Yeah. And the longer answer to that is Secretary Austin, or actually I call him acting secretary because he was <laughs> appointed by, uh, an illegitimate resident that's currently sitting in our White House, right? Right, right. So Millie was in place before, but based on his actions on January 6th and subsequent, uh, in my opinion, and it's not really an opinion, it's showcased by his actions. He accepted an unlawful, unconstitutional order from Mike Pence to go ahead and deploy the national guard on that day without the request from Nancy Pelosi. And she did that by design. If you want to know the details, I think we've covered this in previous broadcasts. Yes. But bottom line, he, he, he was complicit in treason. And then he calls China to tell them, no, I got a handle on this. The coup is in place. Don't worry. We're going to take care of this. So whatever you want to call deep state or whatnot, I mean, those are the actions that take place. Cause I like to take the term deep state and then do the deep dive on individuals so that we can sure. identify their transgression by name, date, time, place, and location, and then start to, uh to inform folks about it, to apply that pressure from the court of public opinion and hopefully effectuate change.
0: Yeah. And, uh and to your, your point, uh, Sean, Joe, you know, I, I think that uh anyone who comes up in a leadership position in a, you know, intrinsically, Broken and corrupt system like what we have in place right now. I think that, you know, the swamp's gonna swamp. And, and in order to rise to the top of that swamp, you've gotta be, uh, pretty, uh, you know, deeply entrenched in it. Uh, special patriot 72 says, I never thought I would have anything nice to say about Putin, but lately, uh, and then switchrod <laughs> says, uh, what specific evil expansionist moves, uh, reneging on agreements Minsk with the West do we hold against Russia? Ivan?
1: Yeah, on that first comment, I just want to say Putin's an absolute thug, right? Mm-hmm. Just straight up. The reason why he got into power is because, uh, if you, if you actually read his, I think biography and you look a little bit about his, his background, he came to power by being the senior, he was basically the gatekeeper in St. Petersburg. I think at the time it was still called Leningrad, but St. Petersburg, Russia. He was the gatekeeper on giving permits for people to import products into St. Petersburg. Well, remember that St. Petersburg is the number one port for Europe, for all of Russia. Oh wow. So it was basically, hey, you want to get a permit to import your things? You're going to have to pay me the following. And that following is going to go to this bank account that's linked to this, to this, right? It's essentially a, a, a grift game, total corruption. And that's how he was able to amass probably upwards of $200 billion worth of wealth over, you know, 20, Yes, that number wow. uh, I think it was maybe ten, fifteen years ago. Uh maybe yeah, about ten years ago, I think the economist or somebody uh considered his wealth and wow. all the assets that he's obtained. Uh and so that's the way he was able to build leverage to then essentially uh, become the director, I think, of the uh, um the FSB but- to then have the ability, just like our FBI Chris Ray does, right? And yeah. Mikey Pence's lackeys there. They dig up dirt on political opponents, include the president slash resident at this point, mm-hmm. to then be able to play their game, kind of like J. Edgar Hoover did. But right. Putin did right. it from Russia's perspective. And then he had the necessary leverage over everybody to be able to say, all right, looks like I'm going to be the next president now that uh Yeltsin's stepping down. So, I mean... That's how you outmaneuvered the system and then since two thousand since nineteen ninety-nine, what are we at now? Twenty twenty-three years plus uh twenty-three years and a couple of months, he's been in power, whether it be a president or a prime minister during that period of time.
0: You know, so um the- now, second
1: horrible- – mention the second guy because I didn't address that yet.
0: <laughs> oh, um, Oh, a- asking, uh, uh, what specific evil expansionist moves reneging on agreements, uh, Minsk as an example with the West, do we hold against Russia?
1: Um, I mean, there's a, there's a strong argument to be made by Russia that. Uh, You know, our expansion of NATO has crossed their red line, which they've articulated pretty clearly in their foreign policy, whether it be the Republic of Georgia, which I happen to be briefly a army attache in in 2007. So I kind of get that dynamic down there. Once they went from. Uh, into what's known as membership action plan. So NATO has a process in order to get to be a member of NATO. There's 30 countries, but the first thing is you do is a proposal. It's called membership action plan, and that triggers a sequence of events to eventually be a member. And once that was initiated, that's when you started to, to see Russia. At the time, it wasn't you know it it was still kind of coming back from its slumber of the 90s, but it still pushed back. And then when in 2014. Uh, the Ukraine component happened where, uh, uh, I mean, we saw essentially, uh, the events of Ukraine in 2014. I was on right. the Ukraine crisis team in the Pentagon, oh, wow. uh, observing that occur, occur. And so that was a rejection in response to, you know, NATO expansion. So I think that it's a good question. It's a complicated response, uh, I think, yeah, I think Russia has a strong argument to be made to make that same point that the, whoever wrote that did. Yeah. And so we have to come up with a justifiable response to that for America to say, you know, what is our strategic interest to be involved in Ukraine other than to expand NATO reach? And so it's hard to say at this point of the game considering the domestic instability caused by both foreign and domestic actors within the U.S. I think our main effort needs to be to shore up our cultural and institutional security before we start to meddle in other nations. And I hate to say that because we just literally overnight went from a superpower to a very, I hate to say this, it's starting to get into an unstable time, but with this auto correction that occurred this last week, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. If you've seen where I work, I'm a very, you know, I like to be optimistic and then go for the gusto. Cause I, I think what happened last week in our house, we got to a 90% solution. I wanted a hundred percent, We we only got to about 90%. That doesn't mean we pause and stop. We continue yeah. to fight. So that's Absolutely. my longer answer.
0: Yeah. Um, Fredo said, uh, know that Ivan served in the military and knows constitutional law. Thank you, Ivan, for everything, and thank you, Brad, for that big mic video. <laughs> <laughs> Cody117 says, uh, me and a few others have been hassling Frank it, quite frankly, to get you all to do a show together again. Uh, it's been since probably 2019, maybe 2020. We're not going to stop peer pressuring, bro, LOL. Uh, Cody, you know, <laughs> Frank and I do a show every Thursday at 4 p.m. on 412 Productions with Adol. Uh, Nero and uh, you can catch us every week on that channel but yes, uh Frank is now live at the same time that I am, uh you know, on the weekends. So it's difficult for us to plan a show together. We would have to do something that would be live on both of our channels. But uh, you know, he's got his own format, I've got mine. I would love to have Frank back though. Uh now that I'm not doing shows on Sundays, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh Lonely German says Americans have been uh of the thought that we are not able to be taken over, so sleep has set in, and now being shaken from that slumber is where we are now. Uh, I can go ahead and uh, agree with you there. And then Freight Awakening also said, thank you for exposing this, Sack. I love your companions, true patriots. Thank you, Ivan and Brad. Not sure where, when your wedding is, but I wish you luck and love, Fred. You are both lucky. True love is rare. Uh, and as you all know, Brad and Abby are the ones that are getting married in, in February. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyways, let's get back to the, uh, uh to the interview. We've got, uh, about 20 minutes left.
4: Uh, These are the people who KGB wanted very much to recruit. But to
3: eliminate the others, to execute the others, don't they serve some purpose? Wouldn't they be the ones we rely on? No, they
4: serve purpose only at the stage of destabilization of a nation. For example, your leftists in in United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the the, uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are are not needed anymore, they know too much. Some of them, when when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, obviously they get offended, they think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karmal with the help of KGB. Same happened in in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The moment they serve their purpose, all the useful idiots are used, either be executed entirely, all the idealistically minded Marxists or were exiled or put in prisons, like in Cuba. Many many former Marxists are in Cuba, I mean in prison. So most of the Indians who were cooperating with the Soviets, especially without the uh, de- Department of, of uh, Information of the USSR embassy, were listed for execution. Uh, and when I discovered that fact, of course I was sick, I was mentally and physically sick. I thought that I'm going to explode one day during the briefing at the ambassador's office, I would stand up and say something, that we are basically a bunch of murderers. That's what we are. We, it has nothing to do with friendship and understanding between the nation and blah, blah, blah. We are murderers. We behave as a bunch of thugs in, in a country which, which is hospitable to us, a country which, which with ancient traditions. But I, I, I did not defect. I tried to get the message across to my horror. Nobody wanted even to listen, least of all to believe what I had to say. And I tried all kinds of tricks. I would, I would, I would uh, leak information through letters uh, or lost documents or something like that. And still I got no message. Uh, the message was not published even in the conservative mass media of, of India the immediate impulse to defect was Bangladesh crisis which was described by American correspondents as Islamic grassroots revolution which is absolute baloney uh, there was nothing to do with Islam and there was no grassroots revolution actually there are no grassroots revolutions period any revolution is a byproduct of a highly organized group uh, of conscientious and professional um, um, organizers but has nothing to do with grassroots in Bangladesh it was nothing with grassroots. Most of the uh, Avami League party members, Avami League means People's Party, uh, were trained in Moscow in the high party school. Most of the Fauj leaders, Muktifauj in Bengali means People's Army, same as Swapo and, and all kind of liberation armies all over the world, the same bunch of useful idiots. They were trained at Lumumba University and various centers of the KGB in Simferopol, in, in Crimea, and in Tashkent. So when I saw that India, Indian territory is being used as a, as a jumping board to destroy East Pakistan, I saw myself thousands of, of so-called students traveling through India to East Pakistan, through the territory of India, and Indian government pretended not to see what, what's going on. They knew perfectly well, the Indian police knew it, the intelligence department of the Indian government knew it, the KGB of course knew it, and the CIA knew it. That, that was most infuriating because when I defected and I explained to the CIA debriefers they should watch out because East Pakistan is going to erupt any moment, they said I, 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 was, lo- I was reading too, too many James Bond novels. Anyway, so East Pakistan was doomed. Uh, one of my colleagues in, in the Soviet Consulate in Calcutta, when he was dead drunk, he ventured into the basement to, to relieve himself and he found the big boxes which said, Printed Matter to Dhaka University. Dhaka is the capital of East Pakistan. And since he was drunk and curious, he opened one of the boxes and he discovered not printed matter, he discovered Kalashnikov guns and ammunition in there. Anyway, it's a long story. When I saw the, the preparations for the, for the uh, invasion into East Pakistan, obviously I wanted to defect immediately. The only thing I couldn't, I couldn't at that time uh, make up my mind when and where and how one of the reasons, of course, you see, I was in love with India. I mentioned it before. I spoke the languages. I socialized with people. And I understood that I had to, to act fast unless I want this beautiful country to be permanently and irreparably damaged by our presence. One of the reasons not to defect was, as you can see, I was living in relative affluence. Who the hell in, in, in the normal mind would defect and do what? To be abused by your media, to be called McCarthyist and fascist and paranoid, or to drive a taxi in New York City? What for? What the hell for should I defect? To be abused by, by Americans, to be insulted in exchange for, for my effort to bring the truthful information about impending danger of subversion. As you can see, I was living in quite a comfortable conditions next to swimming pool, where Indians were not allowed, by the way. I was a highly paid expert in propaganda. I had my family. I was respected by my nation. My career was cloudless. The third reason, how to defect with the family? To defect with the baby and the wife would be virtual suicide because according to law, that hypocritical law which I quoted before, the Indian police will have to hand me over back to the KGB and that will be the end of my defection and probably my life. Again. I cannot smuggle my wife because she was not quite sure what what I was doing. She was not that idealistically involved, and she was definitely not in in, in the total picture of what I was doing for the KGB. She would be shocked if I if I, uh, you know, put her in my van and, and drive her to the American Embassy or elsewhere. That would be a greatest danger. So. Again, I had to defect in such a way that my defection would look as simple disappearance, and there were many cases like that when the Soviet agents simply disappeared, either killed in action or, thanks to their curiosity and and their close contacts with radicals, some of them were killed by the Marxists, by the way. (laughs) It happened in many African countries when the Soviet KGB were killed by Africans themselves, not because they hated marxism leninism but because they were simply trigger-happy Bunch of unruly characters. If you give them machine gun, they will shoot. And some of the Soviets, obviously, were not careful enough to protect themselves. And they got into embarrassing situations when they were shot at the crossfire between factions of of so-called liberation movements. Anyway, so I I decided, as I said, to study the um, counterculture. I decided this probably would be the best way to disappear. I socialized with characters like this on the left. You see, he's is a barefoot American hippie. Uh, it took me quite a long time to study exactly what they were doing and how to mix with them. But eventually I did it. Most of Indian newspapers carried my picture and promise of 2,000 rupees for information about my whereabouts. But they were looking for the wrong person because they obviously tried to stop a young Soviet diplomat in white shirt and tie, and this is how I looked at the time of defection. Nobody could possibly think that a Soviet diplomat would be as crazy as to join a bunch of hippies. That's you. Yes, travel India and smoke hush. So I made it literally almost like a Hollywood-style detective story. Uh, From under the nose of the KGB in Bombay airport, I landed the plane and I flew to, to Greece where I was debriefed by the CIA. That's basically most. Th- that's all for, for my okay, we can slides. The, we can turn off the projector, and that's very
3: interesting. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean
4: by it? Ideological subversion is is the process, which is legitimate over. And open you, you can see it with your own eyes all all you have to do all American mass media has to do is to unplug their bananas from their ears open up their eyes and they can see it there is no mystery there is nothing to do with espionage I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic it sells more deodorants through the advertising probably that's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type uh, uh, of thrillers but in reality The main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, active in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. the enemy, In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations <laughs> of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see. Most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic Perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you have you need another twenty or, or, or fifteen years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and 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 uh, common common sense people who would be acting in. Favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society.
3: And yet these people who have been programmed and, as you say, in place, and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm-hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of
4: them, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, Obviously, they will revolt they, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people and the marxist leninist regime does not tolerate these people mm-hmm. uh, they obviously they will join the links of dissenters mm-hmm. dissidents yeah. uh, unlike in present United States. there will be no place for dissent in, in future marxist leninist america uh, here you can you can get uh, Popular, like uh, Daniel Ellsberg, and filthy rich, like Jane Fonda, for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. That's us, Brad. This they don't understand, and uh, (laughs) it will be a greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. uh, For the last 25 years... is unable to assess true information the facts tell nothing to him uh, even if i shower him with information with, with authentic proof with documents with pictures even if i take him by force to the soviet union and show him concentration camp he will refuse to believe it until he he is going to receive a kick in the in his fat bottom when a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So, basically, America is stuck with, with demoralization. And unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, n- normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, It's what, what matters is essentials. Economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth uh, to to destabilize your uh, economy to eliminate the principle of free market competition and to put a big brother government in washington dc with the uh, benevolent dictators like walter mondale who will promise lots of things never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not he will go to moscow to kiss the bottoms of of New generation of Soviet assassins. Never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media and educational system, trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. United States is in a state of war. Undeclared total war. Against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system, however ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system, or the world communist conspiracy. Whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you but you don't have to be paranoid about it what what actually happens now that unlike myself you have literally several years to live on unless the united states wake up the the time bomb is ticking with every second the disaster is coming closer and closer unlike myself you will have nowhere to defect to unless you want to live in antarctica with penguins this is it this is the last country of freedom and, and possibility.
3: Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people?
4: Well, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government if people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including freedoms to, to homosexuals, to uh, prison inmates. All this freedom will vanish, evaporate in, in five seconds, including your precious lives. Uh, the second thing, I, the moment at least part of the United States population is convinced That the danger is real. They have to force their government. And I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful, noble activity. I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism. Because there is no other problem, more burning and and urgent, than to stop the Soviet military-industrial complex from destroying what is whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits. No technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition, and of course no such idiocy as grain deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of of Soviets, will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic... Two very simple, maybe too simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless, they are the only solutions. Educate yourself, understand what's going on around you. You are not living at a time of peace. You are in a state of war, and you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There's not much time left for convulsions, uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they, I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon and they will pray to be killed but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves it's it's simplistic I know it sounds unpleasant I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant but I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocy as as microfilm, James Bond type espionage this is garbage Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. You may ask me, what is it for me? Survival, obviously. Because unlike, as I said, I am now in your boat. If if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to.
0: All right. Okay, uh, we are back. And, uh, Ivan actually had to step away for a moment. Let me stop that. Let me stop the screen share. There we go. Okay. All right. And they're pretty cool outro music. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the <laughs> uh, uh, the, the, the stingers, uh, for uh, going to commercials, I thought were pretty great. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, there are a couple of, Thank yous that had uh, a couple of uh, other questions. Sean Joe had no, – no, I'm sorry. Um Special Patriot says, oh, yeah, I never thought I would say anything nice about Putin. Uh Switchrod had the question about uh Russia. He had another question for Ivan. We'll get back to that when Ivan comes back. But, Ivan, were you describing Putin or oligarchs, uh, elected or unelected officials? So he'll comment on that when he gets back. Space Coast Patriot, putting a thug – Putting a thug taking down the deep state, bigger thug. Uh Space Coast Patriot said, let's get back to MAGA, F the other countries. I can totally agree. Yeah. Wonder if Russia is just trying to protect itself and its culture sovereignty. Unfortunately, Putin soiled. I think that that is a large part of it. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I mean, it, r- Russia's sovereignty was, <clears throat> excuse me, was in danger throughout the uh, entirety of the Soviet Union. I mean, think about all the culture and the history that was wiped away. Uh, when the Soviets went into all of those Eastern European nations, I mean, they basically, uh, completely wiped the slate clean. They, they, and this is kind of what they're doing here in America today, uh, trying to deprive us of our heritage and, and tell us that, you know, Europeans don't have any culture and so therefore it has no value and we have to pay attention to all of these other cultures. Uh, if we want to be, you know, truly, uh you know, appreciating something. Uh But thank you again, Switch Rod. Uh, Space Coast Patriots said, guarantee you Kazarian Mafia. Definitely Kazarian Mafia is a huge part of it. <clears throat> also said, it's the satanic way. Tell people what they're doing. Don't understand it. It's okay. Insane. And Carenza said, thoughts on Elon's tweet about version 11.3, possibly a marker we have watched for. Uh, I saw that Elon put out a tweet, Brad uh suggesting that Twitter version 11.3 would uh be released very shortly <laughs> and 11.0 well, really? obviously uh from the post uh, who knows what's going to happen but um it wouldn't it be interesting if uh if Elon posted something about a storm arriving when he released uh Twitter version 11.3
2: I mean, you know, the post did say look to Twitter, not specifically POTUS, although that's where we were yeah. looking all the time for the comms at the time, so that's why a lot of people conflate in their head, but that is friggin'. He specifically said
0: 11.3? Yes, he said 11.3, V 11.3, but it was 11.3 nonetheless. Um wow. okay, so, uh, over on Rumble, Ildi the Hun said, "Can we get a commentary-only part of this video? I'm on limited data and can't stream hours. Plus, I had Yuri's video for years. I love you all, but I'm limited. Effing AT&T. Thank you all. Yes, <laughs> uh, I'll do what I can to uh, to create a uh, a commentary-only version of tonight's show. Uh, and then Kara Kara Willow. Kara, I want everybody to pray for Kara's husband because uh, she's uh, been mentioning in the chat that her husband is suicidal. He thinks that America is is lost. Uh, and I want to remind everybody." that uh, just because we have seen the implementation of these four phases of ideological subversion, it does not mean that America is lost. I think as long as there are good people out there who are willing to stand on their principles, who are willing to fight for the America that we love, uh, everything is not lost. But she said right there, Ivan, uh, need help talking to my suicidal husband. He's just lost hope in America and he won't watch anything. Brad, you were saying, and I think that this is, uh, you know, highly astute – Try having him unplug from everything. I know that he won't listen to but I mean, just turn off the phone, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, get out of the house and go uh, surround yourself in nature. I mean, I, I find that people lose that connection to the just just the most fundamentally beautiful things that the world has to offer when they're completely ensconced in this stuff and when they've been ensconced in it and then they get to the point where they just can't watch any of it anymore um it, it, they they need something else to draw their attention away because uh you know although maybe he's not watching shows maybe he's not listening to podcasts or you know watching politics exclusively that's obviously the thing that's still on his mind he, he's got to uh, do something else to get him out of it brad do you have any thoughts <clears throat> uh, absolutely
2: i i a thought that has always helped me along these lines is that you know if you look through history this has always been corruption. There there's Absolutely. every single society has always been corrupt. Uh they've had corrupt dealings for coming down from the top down uh through back to the Romans, back to long before. It's funny, I was actually just thinking about this earlier today. And I see a lot of people, they're just mad at everything that happens. Everything that happens now that we know everyone's watching everything and yeah. Everything, even if, even if it's like 95% of what they wanted, they're mad about that 5%. And to me, it's just like, you don't have to be upset or, or angry just because you know about the, because we're exposing a lot of this be happy about that it's always been here Uh, in some way we're never going to probably fully get rid of the corruption you know human beings are fallible beings but nevertheless be happy that it's being exposed and just be happy to expose it Uh, i just think that uh, people um if they start looking at the inverse the fact that this has always been like this It'll help them be looking at it a different way. Just be happy at the exposure and not mad at what's being exposed.
0: You know, this is the thing. You can't confront something unless you're aware that it exists. Okay? So – the exposure of all of these things that we're talking about tonight, and that Brad and I talk about on our shows under the regular, you know, this is necessary if we are going to address these problems that face America. Uh, so this is just a part of the process, and uh, you're absolutely right, Brad. You know, since time immemorial, corruption, criminality, it's existed. People have done evil things. People have, uh, you know, uh, s- supplanted uh, true leaders to uh, uh, install their own. Uh, people have uh, been subjugated by. Other people's, you know, it's just the, the the turning of the tide. I mean, this is how the world works. This is the nature of humanity. And I know that we want to see a better future for this world. We want to see a better future for our country, but we have to be the ones that bring that about. Uh, and uh, the only way that's going to happen is is if we recognize and confront the issues that we're facing. And speaking of those issues, and also I want to say, Island Girl Five, I see you out there. I see that you're not a fan of Ivan. We'll have Ivan address your specific concerns or claims, uh, once he gets back in here into the show. But Brad, let, let's talk about those four phases of ideological subversion because, uh, you know, when you're hearing, yeah. uh, Yuri say that, I mean, it's, man, you know, talk about burying the lead. I, I mean, like, you waited till the, <laughs> the last 10 minutes of the video to, to basically lay out exactly what has happened. You know, exactly what we saw. You know, this is back in 1984. Okay. In 1984, Yuri was talking about 25 years of this process having already taken place, okay? And I've said uh, so many times that this is a multi-generational war. And the truth is, these people, they use the long game, okay? I mean, they understand. They have it down to a science. What is necessary to destroy a nation so that they can put their own people in power and so that they can control us, that 15 to 20 year period of demoralization and uh, that's how long it takes to educate at least one generation of people. You know, that's kind of what I was getting at in the beginning of the show. You know, uh, we have had uh, to, to lessening degrees education of American children regarding patriotism and civics. And then finally now we've come to the TikTok generation uh, and these people are completely brainwashed. Without a
2: doubt. And that makes the most sense. One generation, right? If you could kind of wipe out everything and just get a people from birth, and that's what happened with the two-family household now. You're having kids go right to these daycares. Not that the daycares themselves are evil, but they have to follow government guidelines. And the more the government gets taken over and they take over the printing facilities and stuff, you you can sort of guide sort of things along the way that you want. And eventually the state becomes the parents and not the, not the actual parents. And then you're getting the 18 to 20 years of demoralization. He was specifically calling out the colleges back Mm -hmm. then. And now I would suggest it's kind of across the board, but it very much, still is the college is are uh, the best. I I know people who were gung-ho patriots who went away to college and four years later came back basically socialists. They're still pretty yeah. much themselves, but like really sold on the idea of socialism. And and you yeah. got to admit, when they're, mm-hmm. they're telling these things, it does sound nice. It, it sounds like the answer to all the problems, obviously they're not going to make it sound bad, but this is the way they did it they infiltrated the colleges i think a big part of it is is they get these kids they're so stressed out and they're all so stressed out about college but then they're also so uh, kind of transfixed on their teachers the teachers mm-hmm. their whole lives are in a position of giving you the information this is the person who gives you the information you don't have to vet your teacher he's the teacher mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. well it, there's it also kind of there's used-
0: yeah there's also the aspect that once kids get to college i mean they 've just become adults, uh, and it kind of goes from like a a position of of like talking down to you your high school teachers you know there 's a yeah. strict line of demarcation between the student and the teacher, or at least there should be sometimes there isn 't those people end up in prison but Once they become adults and they end up in college, you know, there's more of a, a, you know, kind of a a camaraderie and a a sense that, like, these people are your equals or you are, you know, almost to that level. And if only you could make them happy, if only you could – you know, cause that's what they want. They want you to parrot back to them exactly what they're telling you. That's the easiest way to get a 4.0 in college. As long, if, <laughs> if you, if you can listen and understand what your, your, your college professors are telling you, and you can parrot that back in the way that they're asking you to, you will get, uh, flying colors, you will pass and sail right through, uh, probably graduate with, uh, with honors. And uh you know, for myself, when I was in undergrad right after high school, you know, I, I think that probably what saved me was that I already had kind of a baseline in this stuff and, and I and I, I I was looking for certain things you know i i I always got good grades uh because I played the game, but I would challenge my professors in class, and it definitely made me not as popular with some of them, some of them who were <laughs> overtly socialistic but by the time that I went to grad school I, you know I was an adult I, you know I, I mean I was like you know far beyond uh the ability to be brainwashed and um I remember one time in an econ class, the teacher was talking about how the <laughs> the money supply in America there's only so much money and I was like. Actually, the Federal Reserve <laughs> prints Fun money. Story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With like there's there's no limit on it, you know, and then they loan it to the United States and like he just stopped dead in his tracks and everybody looked at me like I was an alien. They were like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> oh everybody God, knows dude. there's only so much money." And I was like, and "Read a book. Look it up and you'll find yeah. out that it's totally different from what you think."
2: <laughs> yeah, that is a funny concept to try and sell to people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's
2: funny. Nowadays, in 2023, the idea of the Federal Reserve, people kind of know that. Yep. See, dude, that's what this – the Great Awakening has taken concepts that were kind of blowing a lot of people's minds. Yours back then, you knew uh, more people on different layers, say 2017, 2018 even, with a lot of this stuff with the banks. They're kind of just known now, at least amongst the right. And even yep. people who – They have nothing to do with the Great Awakening. They're just accepted now, and that's a big part of it. That's kind of what Yuri was saying at at the end there. What's the solution? Education. Getting everyone to understand what's going on around you. So that's why this
0: is like a big step, I think, that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a comment from Karma Michelle in, uh, in the chat. She had said, you know uh, why is it that we're allowed to see this i mean it seems like maybe it's a little too convenient <laughs> here's the thing you know the the, the soviet union fell uh, america on paper Won the Cold War, and so what Yuri is talking about is easy for the establishment to write off and say, "Well, that would never happen here in America." You know, I mean, at the same time that they are suppressing us, uh, at the same time that they are taking people like Brad, uh, myself, and Ivan—you know, people who have uh, uh, dissenting ideas and who are speaking out against things—and and they're and they're crushing us and trying to. Uh, Take us off of social media. They're telling us that it's not really like that, that America is still the land of the free, the home of the brave. Uh, Take a look at Hakeem Jeffrey's speech in in Congress uh, just last night. Uh, when oh, he took, man. uh, when, when he took his position, uh, absolutely ridiculous what he was saying. It was completely, uh, detached from reality. Uh, and yet there he was saying it, and that's what the Democrats do. This is like 1984 personified. double Right, and earlier in the day
1: he said that there were five
0: police officers that died on January 6th. Yes! Well, guess what? Yes. It was Still zero. Still pushing that. Completely debunked. <laughs> Totally, totally ridiculous. Um, okay, so, uh, Ivan, welcome back. We are, we're talking about those, uh, those four phases of ideological subversion. Before we get your thoughts on some of this, I want, uh, to read this comment from Island Girl 5. I think that you should address it. He's, she's, uh, she says, Rakelin works for Dynology and General Jim Jones. Open your eyes, folks. You are being played. <laughs> the Green Beret are basically one giant PSYOP division of the military. Ordo Ab KO, right, Ivan? I, th- I think, isn't that like order out of chaos or something? Uh, but Even I don't Rambo? know. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know, but, but <laughs> Ivan, um, uh, I wonder if what, uh, what yeah, you yeah. have to say to Island Girl. Yeah, Island Girl. I think
1: somebody posted it like a year ago or so that there was some sort of connection that I'm involved in some company or whatever. I have no clue what that's about. Dynology, I heard of, there's a individual. That, uh, was it Millie Weaver was working with? I can't remember. Berge or something like that?
0: Oh yeah. That's Patrick Berge. Yeah. They did yeah, that uh, he shadow
1: with yeah. I've never worked with that corporation. I've worked with, uh, I've been, uh, with a smaller contract company that doesn't go by that name. And then I worked with another one that doesn't go by that name. And so yeah, I don't know where, where that comes out with as far as order from chaos. I mean, there's a book called Masters of Chaos that talks about the history of the Green Berets. And at the end of the day, you know, what is a Green Beret? Uh, Green Beret is set to, I mean, you can look all of this up. We're trained to go into the, another country and essentially train, advise and equip by linking up with an indigenous force to go ahead and, uh, call it what it is, overthrow that government, but at the direction of our U.S. government, right? Mm-hmm. And so that methodology, take it for what it's worth. I mean, that's part of kind of my background. Uh, take out the, the kinetic component and you literally have politics, right? Where mm-hmm. you're trying to organize folks to be able to push for a particular ideology in, in America. It's a two party system. And so right now the role that I play is, and I, that's why I'm on these shows here is I try to gravitate to the other, other leaders that are in the, patriot side or the house freedom caucus side if you'll based on what we just saw that last week is to take over the entire republican party to then have a mechanism to take over our entire governmental system right. to promote our ideologies and push back against what's going on what we just talked about over the last two two hours with this show we're pushing back against the communism and i want to hit two other points okay my <clears throat> motivating reasons of why I'm involved in this to, like, address and allay any, like, of these concerns that you guys think that, whatever, like, everybody's accusing someone of someone. I sure. get it. Always verify. Like, always verify everything that I'm doing. I expect that. I, I I would expect that from any critical thinker to fact and law check everything I say. You know, have your discernment. My two motivating reasons why I'm in this fight. My parents fled the Soviet Union. My dad... Uh, grew up, I think he was born around the same time as this guy, uh, born in this, in St. Petersburg, uh, lived through the 900 day blockade that the Nazis had around, Len, uh, it was Leningrad at the time. So for almost three years, he was living and all of his siblings were living on, uh, 125, what is it? Three or four ounces of bread a day for three years. So wow. he survived that. He lived through communism was a dissident inside, kind of like where we are right now, was a dissident. And because he was a – uh his his mom, so my grandmother, was Jewish. My mother is actually Eastern Orthodox, so I'm you know, Christian. And so was able to flee the Soviet Union in the 70s because he was a dissident. And oh, by the way, it's because he was writing in his uh, thesis for his master's degree – uh, he was essentially criticizing cr- criticizing Khrushchev after his trip to Iowa. He came back. Khrushchev said that we're going to grow corn from uh from north to south. And my dad was doing economics, and his thesis was on agri- agriculture and how the, Khrushchev was an idiot because the climate couldn't support corn in freaking Siberia, right? Mm-hmm, but right. the KGB caught wind of it and was going to essentially send him to the gulag for criticizing the KGB or criticizing the the government. But his thesis chair, I guess he had enough connections. He said, I'm going to be able to keep you out of the gulag, but you're no longer going to do your master's degree. And that's what, uh, let's face it, that's what pissed him off. And then he figured out a mechanism to try to get out of the Soviet Union. And at the same time that that was going on in like the early mid-70s, there was a new law in the United States called the Jackson-Vanik Amendment, which opened up to allow uh at that time Soviet dissidents, Soviet Jews to leave uh the Soviet Union to the United States, and that under that strategic kind of program, he came to the US, I was born here in the States. That's number and and then so now basically his life experience, I'm fighting commies here in the States. So right. So he he tried to do it. He moved here. So like under my watch it ain't gonna happen. So I'm gonna keep pushing back. And then number two Okay and this is going probably going to anger the individual that you know said that uh but I'm going to set the record straight what they did to General Flynn meaning Biden and Obama and I mentioned this in the Tucker article briefly or Tucker interview is that what they did to General Flynn with his background impeccable career of 33 years uh it's unacceptable When your civilian government goes after, it could be Ben Smith or Jane Smith. It doesn't matter if it's Michael Flynn or anybody else. When you have achieved that rank, not only rank, but you've gone through the units that he's gone through, you have to be number one in your field of everybody in the force. And so when they went after him politically like they did and targeted him, uh, that's, that's, I, I don't know what the term to use. Offensive is not the right word. The right word is, you just went after my family. Mm-hmm. So guess what? You're going to regret it now for the rest of my, as long as I'm alive. Right. So we're going to correct the record and that go, that, that process rests squarely with Biden, the Jiden, because he was the one, uh, one of the 33 people that unmasked Flynn and then forced him into this quagmire, the legal procession. And if you have any questions about anything, read the entire 250 documents in his case. Once you read through all of those, then I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have as it applies to his integrity or any questions you have on General Flynn. Because I know there's some folks out there that say stuff. Come talk to me after you read every single filing in his case. And then you're, you're probably not going to have any questions and you're going to probably come to the same conclusion that I am. All right.
0: In my, in my experience, uh, the, the biggest patriots are first and second generation Americans, the people who have. Fled communism, the people who have uh emigrated to America because of the promise of what America is supposed to be, and then their children, obviously, uh, because they're taught about how difficult life was in their countries of origin, or they're taught uh how much they should uh treasure uh the freedoms that we have here and what we're supposed to be given. Uh also over here on the foxhole, um, Switchrod said, Ivan uh earlier, uh he was the one who asked the question about uh uh the actions of Russia and why we should be upset with them. Uh Ivan, were you describing Putin or oligarchs uh and elected or unelected officials? So
1: the the political system in Russia, and I've been track I mean professionally and whatnot, I've been kind of tracking this for a couple decades. Mm-hmm. Putin there's really no distinction. So he amassed his power and then just transitioned and, and, and influenced, like we talked about in St. Petersburg and all the money flows and his network that created it, he created in St. Petersburg. They just transplanted the Moscow inside the Kremlin. So it would be like, what's going on with Biden? Very similar approach here. Uh, Putin came into power through a false flag similar to what just occurred with Biden. In 1999, if you recall... In the May of 1999, you had the, quote, Chechen bombs, two bombings in Moscow. And if you look at the details of actually how that occurred, those were all like it was Putin as the director of FSB had two ops going on false flag and they blamed it on Chechnya. And so I what happens? That. Is that you where know, they the pumped the,
0: the fentanyl gas into the theater?
1: No, no, no. That was no? another okay. op. That okay. was another event. This was his – his. I think at the time he was prime minister, uh, but before that he was – remember, he was number two under Yeltsin in 99, and before that he was the director of the FSB, which is their equivalent to the FBI, right, director. And so he used the false flag to get the country riled up and say, oh, we got to go after the Chechens. The Chechens did it. They killed our people. And so under that, he came out as the strong man. Remember, he was flying in the SU-25. I think it was like he was in the helmet. It was early in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he looked like the strong man that, that Russia needed. And so that ha- that's how he rose into power uh, through the leverage that he created, through the blackmail system being there because he's got all the tools to collect on everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, that false flag event essentially put him into power. Apply that to the J6 false flag. I mean it's very similar how things happen. And, and it sounds – right, it sounds conspiratorial, this and that. But guess what? The evidence is just so clear once you dig down that rabbit
0: hole. Right, right. Uh it's, So Switch, yeah. Switchrod also said, uh wonder if Russia is just trying to protect itself and its culture and sovereignty. Unfortunately, Putin's soiled. Uh, Brad and I were saying earlier, I mean, I think that's undoubtedly part of it. I mean, of course. Russ yeah. Yeah. West I mean, predict, there's yeah.
1: there's there's several layers going on. There's yeah. the thuggery stuff, but then there's also like a component of right Russian nationalism. They're trying to keep their culture. They're trying to keep their sovereignty. So it's not like all lawlessness. There's still a somewhat of an ethos and culture that people grew up in, whether it be mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodoxy, whether it be right. So there's uh it's more of a traditional Let's just face it, there's a, there's a lot more in common with Russia and the United States than there is culturally speaking than there is with China and the United States, whether it be, you know, you know, there's a lot. It's not a one to one though. It's mostly
0: European. It's not a one to one. I think that people want to like, you know, like make like the direct. Correlation, but I mean there 's similarities, but there are still you know points that uh, that are not the same. Um, Reyer said America and all countries are not the government. the country is the people the people are not lost that 's a great point. Uh, Sp- Space Coast Patriot said we joke the live stream and nature balance. Retyyer also said they 've invested billions to convince us that all is lost. It's a psyop. All is lost when we believe that. Absolutely. Uh you know, part of this these uh four phases of ideological subversion, I would say that uh the blackpilling is the part of the, the demoralization. <laughs> oh, we'll yeah. talk about that in just a sec. Right, right. Uh, I try to ignore as much blackpilling as possible.
1: I I'd be like, all right, that's your choice. Like you're a grown man, you're a grown woman, you can blackpill. Guess what? You're just making it harder for success for people like us.
0: Exactly,
2: exactly. You know, when people say stuff to me, I'm like, are you trying to convince me to quit? Like, I don't understand what you're what are you doing. Like, you know, <laughs> fine, go ahead, Think it, I guess. So why are you trying to make me believe
0: this? Uh Space Coast Patriot says, I think most TikTok kids won't go to college in the future. Conservative kids will go to tech schools. Uh, Space Coast Patriot said treason. Rise of Tiger said second generation, ge- second generation American here. Hey, that's right. Oh, seven. My grandparents escaped gulags and concentration camps. I was bred to fight the cabal. And Switchrod said our oligarchs are tech, pharma and defense and elected and unelected okay. officials. Corruption yeah. knows no borders. Absolutely. No, I'm not saying that Russia or China or any other nation has the market on corruption. We, we <laughs> yeah, definitely, right, right. <laughs> we definitely have, uh, plenty of American oligarchs here, uh, and I think that you guys would know them as soon as you see them. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Marky Mark Zuckerberg right? yeah, with his whole <laughs> site with CTCL money. Uh, so Ivan, uh, we're going to begin now in the four phases of ideological subversion. 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Brad and I were just saying before you were here, uh, that uh, uh, fascinating to think that at the time that Yuri was, uh, you know, rattling these off 1984, 40 years ago, he was talking about a 25 year period that had already been in play uh, where that generation of Americans had already been brainwashed. Uh, and now uh, at that time, we had the dropouts, essentially, that were occupying positions of power. I, I immediately thought about Bill Ayers and, of course, uh, his heir apparent, Barack Obama. But uh, I'd like to get your thoughts and then I want to uh, hear anything specific. Uh, actually, Brad, let's start with you, because Ivan has been uh, talking for the last few minutes.
2: Oh, yes. I, I mean, I just wanted to make a quick point about the outline of a false flag, strong leader getting in power. Just really quick. that's They've done that so many times that it, it almost has to be a thing. Oh, Bloomberg, he ran during 9-11. And yeah. 9-11 just so happened to happen on his primary that was pushed back. He was going to save the city, and then he got into power. So, I mean, things like that. And then just a quick comment on the Flynn stuff. Yeah, the way he was targeted, it's almost a given that he's a Patriot. Just right off the bat, I mean, I think that for other reasons, too. But he was yeah. targeted before they were even signed in, uh sworn in. They, they were, Biden unmasked him before they were even inaugurated and said, and he was set up by Comey and them. They laugh about it. So they, I think it's pretty silly the things that people say about Flynn. Yeah, my rebuttal you know? on that, watch
1: Zach's uh, two-hour deep state deep dive with me several months ago. <laughs> <laughs> we
2: won't address that again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Flynn is definitely a patriot.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. is. It's, it's uh,
0: not even up for question. Uh, Alright, so, uh, Ivan, your, your thoughts on the, uh, the first yeah, phase, so, the demoralization. I mean, when, remember
1: when he wrote this, the, he, there was no internet. There was like, uh, there were, probably wasn't even fax. It was, you know, phones and maybe three or four. Or oh no, they, channels, they, they had fax.
0: They definitely had fax. <laughs> they had fax. They, they, had, I think faxes came out in like the late sixties. <laughs> was tying strings to dick. So yeah, you probably, have
2: right? no idea what this guy's
1: saying. The way to kind of communicate <laughs> to, to an entire nation, uh, uh, that factored into his 25 year path. But when yep. you lock everybody down and force them to only consume information from the same device via three you know, two or three major companies, mm-hmm. now you're literally I think you're condensing that twenty five years mm-hmm. into literally a twelve to twenty four month time frame. So you're condensing his whole numbers game in terms of time. I need I think it's one tenth that, if not less. That that's the
2: only comment I'll make. Certainly on less. Okay. It, without a doubt. The internet has changed everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. All right, and then <clears throat> stage 2 destabilization 2 to 5 years. Uh so uh highlighting the economy, foreign relations and defense systems. Uh I think it's arguable uh you know it's easy to argue that we're in the destabilization period right now. Uh because obviously, you know, since Trump left office, uh the economy has been tanking. Uh foreign Inflation. relations, yeah, well foreign relations were already under attack while Trump was in office, but he did a lot to uh, uh to to really uh, I guess, you know, rock soothe the calm or excuse me, soothe the troubled waters. Uh, in terms of that stuff, because uh, the work that he did directly with leaders of other nations really helped out. But now people look at America and think that we're a laughing Uh And then, of course, our defense. Oh, geez, oh, Pete's. I mean, that's all you hear about is that you can't keep people in the military. They are now uh, uh, they're lowering the IQ threshold for people to come in. <laughs> uh, they are lowering the threshold for people who have had uh, felonies. You know, I mean, just imagine. How much worse the military would be when they allow a whole bunch of criminals and stuff to come in or, you know, people who came here illegally, DACA recipients, they're calling them up and asking them to join. And uh, it's a it's a shit show.
1: Yeah, let me comment on that first since, uh, one, I, I'm one, I'm a product of what you just said on the defense side. The reason why I left, I felt as though that I could change and impact it much more effectively from the outside, considering I was in a situation where I could retire. I had already had planned on retiring several years back and there was a couple things that it was, you know, the last assignment that I had was pretty cool, but, uh, having said that, it's like, a lot of people are leaving because of these EU, EUA product mandates. Cause where, where did they enforce it first? It was within the Department of Defense, the, the clot shot mandate, right? Mm-hmm. And then they started to in- integrate the whole, um, the promotion and, of mutilation training, right? Hey, you need to be inclusive. You need to, uh, Learn about how people like to mutilate themselves. And I guess my response should have been, well, why don't they start with the, you know, with the neck, right? You want to mm-hmm. mutilate the neck first and then see where the the head rolls. And then we'll see if we want to have them to be inclusive. But bottom line is that has no impact on readiness, right? Uh, if anything, like not only are you disfiguring someone's body to promote that, but then you're also teaching other people saying, Oh, that's okay. That's okay how are you going to be effective in combat when you're just constantly mutilating yourself and then you have to take all these different medicines uh to keep
2: your stability it's mm-hmm. just totally i mean this is ridiculous it's funny that i almost wrong, asked wrong you is right. what is mutilation training and then i got it i got it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: i mean that's the terminology that needs to be used instead of this
2: like the whole right, uh,
1: yeah. um you know criminal safe havens that's the term that needs to be used for these places Cause a sanctuary is a place where it's safe, right? Sound and people conduct lawful activity. So we need to make sure that the terminology is accurate. I hate it when people use these other terms to make it like sound benign or whatnot. I mean, this is total, just yeah. complete exactly. genocidal mutilation of the, of your physiological, uh, physiology.
0: Uh, also Eylinger really wants everybody to read the perestroika deception. Uh, and this is definitely a book that I've heard of. I believe it was written by a former KGB officer, and the um, uh, uh, the, the 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 theory behind the book is that the Soviet Union never fell. Uh, that it was really just some type of, um I guess, evolution. Uh, I mean, certainly many of the people who were in power during the Cold War and in the Soviet Union, I mean, they just moved on to different positions after the uh, official fall of the USSR and the creation of the Russian Federation. So, I, I mean, I, I think that's something that uh, you can easily look to and, and understand. Uh Let's go to uh number three, crisis, six weeks. <laughs> it doesn't take long at all. Uh you know I mean what do you guys think it will be required to create the crisis here in America uh you know certainly it, it, immediately uh the thought of uh, some mass conflict uh, perhaps uh thermonuclear war with Russia or some other nation uh perhaps the destabilization of the economy by uh the removal of um uh global reserve currency from the United States uh what do you guys think it would take
1: no i I think when you look at this model, you need to apply it to what just already happened, so you need to apply it to the whole the lockdowns right phase one, and then phase two was essentially uh the changing and everything related to uh the um right after the election right mhm in, in order for us to accept that and then phase three is like the crisis. Which was January 6th, the illegal final nail in the, in the coffin. Okay. And then we went into this normalization phase where, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we got to divide everybody, right? We're, we're dividing everybody by every category you can think of to create this massive
0: chaos. Uh, you could certainly look to Biden as a benevolent dictator as well <laughs> from his uh, normalization <laughs> phase. Brad, what do you yeah. think? Are, are, have we already surpassed the crisis phase, and are we now in the normalization of? I, I guess you know they do remember say the we had new troops normal.
1: around the capital and all this sure. sort of stuff. Sorry, Go oh ahead. yeah,
2: oh yeah. I mean, on on some scale, I look at this, I look at these four steps as. Way more spread out. I mean, crisis. You could argue that 9/11 was the huge crisis that changed everything and changed the way we think. It turned us into fighting each other all the time. It it brought the country to a a constant state of. We've been in a state of crisis pretty much since then. Absolutely. You know, people used to in the 90s be like, "Hey, who are you voting for? Dole? Oh, cool. I'm voting Clinton. All right, man. Hey, $10 friendly bet. Cool." And then sure. it would be over and they shake hands. When that turned quickly into, "You're voting for Kerry? I hate your." Face. And we've just been in like this total at war crisis pretty much since then. And I'm sure they're going two and three, two and three on and off as much as they possibly can since the demoralization. And it's kind of a mix match of all of this, I feel. And yeah, I think we've mm-hmm. been constantly normalized throughout these last 20 years. A lot of a lot of things that would have horrified people in the 90s. Well, you know, I use that as a gauge because that's when I was a teenager and stuff are to have been totally normalized over the last 20 years that atheism was mm-hmm. the craziest idea ever when i was growing up everyone was like oh oh you're methodist so oh, cool i'm catholic oh nice yep it was yep. just everyone and not that we were like all hardcore christian or anything but everyone was just something it was never yeah. thought of like atheism now that's normal there it's a normal thing and that's not the only thing a lot of things are normal if you would have taken uh Drag, queen story hour and popped it into 1997. Pretty sure everyone in my high school would have grabbed a weapon and ran yeah. to the library at full speed. Now it's like, I see people on Facebook defending it who I grew up with. I'm like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. So yeah, man, I think we're, I think we're long into a lot of these.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I, I have to mm-hmm. agree with you guys there. So the one thing that uh, also stuck out at the end, uh, is that, uh, you know, in order to overcome this, in order to kind of, uh, Unbrainwash America. It would require a period of uh, 15 to 20 years uh, to return to, uh, you know, an ideological normalcy. Uh, And, you know, I mean, this is to me, it goes back to the idea that this is a a multi-generational conflict that we're dealing with here. And uh, people need to remember that as long as we can recognize this stuff, fight against it uh, and do everything in our power to overcome it and to educate people, it, all hope is not lost. And if you believe all hope is lost, then you can look back at these four phases of ideological subversion and recognize that you fell prey to it in the first one. Uh, and uh, you've got to look inside yourself and you've got to recognize that if we're going to change this, if we're going to be successful in saving America, then it's going to come down to the efforts of each and every one of you individually. Gentlemen.
1: I couldn't have said it better. I think we did a cloud
0: right. on that All one back. Right. In, <laughs> right on, yeah. In that case, let me say thank you to Special Patriot seventy two who said uh uh America can never take the black pill. God wins. Uh Switchrod said, Ivan, I'm seventy. I left as a youth fighting the establishment, now way right fighting the same effing establishment. Yes. Uh Space Coast, Patriot says, New York husband asked, What is pill dot net? And I said, It's the truth you got to love that. And then Sean Joe says, you guys are doing great work tonight. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. I am. Uh, we're going to be closing it out here, guys. I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything over on Buy Me a Coffee. Someone, an anonymous person, said, thank you, Red Pill 78. Keep them coming. This is a great start to the new year, and there's nothing on Cash App. So with that, uh, gentlemen, I'd like to give you the last words. Uh, Ivan, any final thoughts?
1: Uh, yeah, just moving forward. I always like to plan forward. Uh, look ahead for the following for January. Some big things that, uh, we need to be focused in on to really, again, I'm focused on rega- retaking the Republican party so that it's more in line with the conservative values and then retaking our government. So what do we need to focus in on? Uh, January 20th, I'm going to try to get, uh, Kevin McCarthy to go ahead and push for that 12th amendment new, brand new joint session hearing for that reinstatement vote, right? Mm-hmm. January 27th. And I get, I get it. I aim very high. <laughs> January twenty seventh is the you got to shoot for the moon if you're going to
0: make it to the moon.
1: <laughs> right, right, January twenty seventh, we're going to remove Ron Romney. Hopefully, ideally, we're going to have either chair or co chair as um Mike Lindell or and Harmeet or vice versa. And then February twenty first, we got a fourth congressional district race in Virginia. So politically speaking, I think that's it's a special special race since one of the, uh, Congress members passed away. So that's kind of my main focus over the next few weeks. And if you want to join, just follow along and, uh, see what, you know, if you want to help out, I'll be pushing that on, on my telegram. That's all I got.
0: Awesome. And Brad, you get the final, final word. Uh Oh (laughs) yeah. I'm a fan of aiming
2: high too. you know, hit them with everything. Why not? It's not, everything's going to always work out great but kind of like uh with the brunson case you know pretty early on i was like guys this probably is no going nowhere people were pretty mad but then also too lately it's like well you know what might as well give it a shot right i'm not opposed to what they're doing so just hit them with everything all the time and yeah i think a lot of people they're a little disenfranchised about our elections but i think a lot do working that that's just one way we can fight i think looking inward and saying what can i do Is the number one thing we can all start doing stuff. It'll make a huge difference. One thing I, I just want to say to keep in mind is the off years, the odd number years election wise are a lot of local, more local elections and even like Mm -hmm. state Congress and state Senate and stuff. That's very important. They know they don't think anyone watches those. And you know, in 2021 right Mm -hmm. here in New Jersey, we got a freaking truck driver to unseat the New Jersey Senate. State so Senate, great. right. Yeah. And there, man. And, uh, there was a whole bunch. If you went down the list, a lot of people. So just look into it. I'm going to, you know, maybe I don't oh, know. So you're, are you in Jersey? Yeah. yeah I'm in Jersey. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So yeah. New Jersey and
1: Virginia, where I live, are the only huh. two states that have elections every year, basically. Cause the federal oh, really? ones are, are even and then the, and the state ones are odd years.
0: So oh, that's this pretty year, cool. We're going
1: to have our. 2023, we have our state house and
2: state senate races. Yeah, and same here. Yeah, that's why I definitely I, I try to keep an eye on these because that's when you could really like fly under the radar, you know. Good stuff. And Good it just stuff. makes a big difference, dude. Like I said, like General Flynn has said, you know, local impact equals major. You know, it makes a major impact. Local, uh, local, local action. action, Yeah.
1: national yeah. impact. Yep, yep. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I had it sort of, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that, those are the things to look forward. We can all make a difference for sure close enough all right hey gentlemen. Zach, man thank you oh,
0: man this is thank this, you this went a while is that this it did yes this was <laughs> yeah. an epic show this was a great night i want to thank you both for being here as always you guys i will be back on monday thank you very much for being here with us if you have not yet hit the like button hit that on rumble uh drop a, a red pill over on the foxhole Drop some hearts over on Getter. If you want to support the show, you can do that in the links that are in the description below. Plenty of sponsors. Uh, but any as always, this is listener-supported content, so I really appreciate the people who have supported the show and all the people who have stuck with me throughout the years. So thank you, everybody, for being here. Good luck, and God bless. We'll see you Monday.